Welcome to the Burden Steep Podcast. Though I didn't do 20 or 30 years locked up, and I never spent time in the hole or had to make a shift, after six years in the Texas penal system, I've still seen some stuff. I've lived through many lockdown endured authoritarian regimes, seen riots, learned how to navigate deeply entrenched racial issues, and as the world around us snowballs further into insanity, I can't help but think how like prison this all is. Yet it wasn't all doom and gloom. I made some incredible friendships along the way, learned things about myself I don't know if I ever would have uncovered, and I learned that prison Mike was right. They do serve gruel and there are dementors, though they aren't the worst part of it. Join me as I share stories from the inside and dive into how my time locked up has changed, altered, and shaped my views now that I am on the inside. What up, free world? This is Prison Steve, your favorite ex-con, maybe because I'm the only ex-con you know, and uh, this is the Prison Steve podcast, and it has been a minute. Man, it has, it's been more than a minute. It's been quite a, quite a bit of time, um, but we're back now. I'm back now. This is going to be season two, and there has been a reason for the lapse. Not, not a great reason, not for the amount of duration that it's been. But I just wanted to be able to share that with you guys because we do have a podcast for you today. In fact, we've got um, a series of podcasts that will be coming out uh, over the next few weeks. And uh, it's going to be me unpacking my story in full. And it's something that I've never done. I never did it when I was in prison. I've never done it with anybody before. And so I have been wanting to do this for a while now. And uh, even last year when I was still doing, uh, let's just call it season one of the Prison Steve podcast, this is something I felt like, man, I really, at some point I need to sit down and tell a story, but I was like, I don't want to just talk into a microphone and tell a story. Like, I need to have this conversation with people that I know or that I love or that I trust, and so that we can, you know, I'm sure they have questions, and we can just kind of, and I like to get their feedback and take. So um, I knew that what I wanted to do, I wasn't just exactly sure, like, how to kind of bring it about. And then my vehicle was broken into, and I lost all my stuff, my laptop, my recording equipment, everything. And then all the material that I had been working on. So for me, at that time when that happened, it was a kind of like a perfect storm of reasons to kind of pull back and reformat. But I always knew I wanted to get back to it. So for those of you that have been asking and that have been wondering, like, what's been going on, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate your concern. We're back. And so we're going to go ahead and launch into this. And I'm excited to be able to do this with you guys. So the way this is going to break down is that this is a... Uh, uh, this is not a simple story that I tell in 10 minutes, um, not accurately. And so, like I said, I've never unpacked this whole thing. A lot of it because there's a lot of emotional, it's, it's a very, for me, a very heavy subject. Um, and I had my reasons in prison of holding that back. Um, and, and it wasn't like I didn't trust people or nothing like that. It was just, I never felt like I don't know, that, that window just really never opened itself up. So I would tell bits and pieces to them as we would have conversations. And to others that when we when I talked or when I shared part of my story, I would share bits and pieces. I would never unpacked it in full. So when I unpacked it in full, um, th- this part, like how, like who I was leading up to the robbery, like what kind of person I was, what happened during the robbery, and then what happened afterwards, all the way up to my conviction, that part right there, that's what actually ended up being a good chunk of time. And so, um, but 
thankfully I wasn't doing it alone. I was doing it with my brother, Andrew, my younger brother, and then also um, a good buddy of mine, and, uh, Andrew Dieger. And so my brother, Andrew, will go by Andy, and uh, Andrew will go by Andrew. Um, and so, yes. Anyway, uh, we were able to do that together, and they were able to provide some really good insights. Andrew, uh, my friend, is able to ask some really compelling questions. And then my brother, Andrew, is able to bring some real insight into what it was like for the family or what it was like for him to kind of go through that experience. So when you commit a crime and when you do something, uh, well, really when you do anything, but specifically like when you do something that's pretty like out there like I did – you never do it by yourself. You're never just affecting yourself. You're always affecting other people. Uh, you're affecting your victims. You're affecting people that are your family. Your family actually become part of the victims because they were affected by your actions and your crimes as well. And then uh, just a, a myriad of other people. And um, so it was really interesting to hear his perspective as he's sharing it. As a side note, his mic was off. And that was, uh, we'll just put that on me. Uh, I, I've got some new equipment. This is a new multi-person format. And somehow, even though we did all the test runs, it just, you know, his mic was off. So what we went through is I was able to salvage for the, at least for the podcast uh, part, since it's pure audio, I was able to salvage um, him coming through on some of the other mics, but you're going to hear some audio fluctuations when he comes in and out. And there are also parts where he's contributing where you won't be able to hear him as clear, where I wasn't really able to do, to, to salvage much of that. But for the most part, what Andrew has to contribute and share, I really believe is going to uh, come through. So hopefully you're able to pick up on that. Okay, so I got Andrew, I got Andy, we're sitting there, we got a little format. We're actually recording this, we're YouTubing it. And we're going to be putting it, YouTubing it. We're recording it. We're going to put it on YouTube. And I've got a Prison City Podcast uh, YouTube channel that I've been wanting to actually start up and do with something like this. So th- this will be one of our first videos uh, to be able to put out there for the Prison Podcast YouTube channel. And uh, anytime I do a multi-person, I'm always going to try to do a recording of it. And uh, so for this, uh, since uh, my friends are connoisseurs or uh, they're very appreciative of a good liqueur, I provided that. I provided the drinks. They provided the conversation and the time, and it was a significant amount of time. And the way that it breaks down is um, I'm going to break this up into two separate podcasts. So we're going to have part one, and then I'll come back and we'll uh, release part two. And then I'm going to sit down with my buddy Chris Nickel, and we're going to unpack what happened from from the – the day that I got sentenced, uh, my six years locked up, like what happened during that process and then what it's been like since I've been out and um, what I've kind of learned and taken through from the experience as well. And I'll let them kind of ask me some questions and kind of interview me and, and uh, to help kind of dig all that out. So anyway, all that being said, I think I covered everything that I wanted to in the intro and uh, I've missed you guys. I miss being able to do this. And uh, with the political spectrum the way it is, it's probably been pretty good that I've been able to keep my opinions to myself and be able to just kind of pull back and sit down and just kind of watch everything unfolding uh, from a distance. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do. Instead of just jumping in and getting involved and stating your opinions, it's best to just kind of sit back, watch everything unfold. And it keeps somebody like me from being like over-opinionated or over-emotional and being a little, just a little bit more analytical about things and not getting drawn up. We probably need a little bit more of that today, as you're seeing, but we'll dive into all that later on. So one last thing I'd like to add just before we jump into this is that 
if you can, on whatever platform you listen to, uh, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, um, uh, now YouTube, liking, subscribing, commenting, anything that you can do, especially if you leave a review, man, if you guys just take the time to do that, it really helps out as far as like getting just a little, I don't know, algorithms or whatever they're doing, but it really just kind of helps uh, substantiate the podcast a little bit more in other people's eyes and help them understand what they're doing. Uh, five stars are awesome, but you want to earn those. So um, hopefully if you feel like this podcast uh, is something you would recommend and uh, that, that you would encourage others to listen to or you think they would find it engaging, then that's a great way of being able to do that. Also, word of mouth, that always works great. So just wanted to do that real quick plug uh, just as a reminder and say thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time and for taking an interest in this, and hopefully you will find it informative, entertaining, um, and whatever else you can get out of this. So without further ado, let's go ahead and launch into this. All right, so here we are live, and well, not live per se, but we're live for ourselves. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing a full recap, uh, like I mentioned in the intro, um, and this is just be me telling my life from start to finish, and it's just something that uh, I've actually never done. I never even did it uh, during my six years in prison. Um, I would tell bits and pieces and story, and then every now and then I would share like bits and pieces and story uh, with other people. But what I realized was that I wasn't actually like really breaking it down like from start to finish. And so I thought this would be a really good time to kind of get the podcast going back by sharing with you guys my story. And so what I've done is I brought in uh, two friends of mine. Uh, one's my brother, so he's kind of a friend, <laughs> and um, and then we got uh, Andrew Dieger, and um, he's uh, he's really been uh, a really close brother, uh, not just a friend, but a brother in Christ, and he's really helped me out with um, uh, just finding community outside of prison, and I'll get into that, how that was a little bit of a struggle afterwards. Uh, so I'm going to give him a chance to kind of introduce themselves, and then we'll uh, launch into it. So, Andrew. Um, I'm Andrew Mathis, uh, a better Andrew. Uh, I am Steve's brother, and uh, you can look at the mic. Don't be scared. Okay. I have uh, a very unique uh, perspective on Steve and his life, mostly because he has uh, helped uh, greatly affect my life, not just from being a brother and you know the numerous beatings I got from you uh, yeah, as, right. a, as a brother. They were deserved, but numerous. Um, but also, he was one of the um, uh, key role, key players in bringing me back to Christ. So, uh, you know, being a witness to his story is uh, from you know not just being his brother, but also being really affected by your walk. So, cool. Uh, also, Andrew has uh, four amazing kids, and that means I have four nieces. <laughs> and uh, so That's I get the great. privilege of being an uncle without the responsibility of. It up, but it's, it's gray. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I noticed about my beard too. Uh, Andrew also. Sure. So we're gonna go with Andy. Yeah, I'm gonna be Andy. Because uh, he's got a little. I, he's got a business where Handy Andy. So there's his plug. <laughs> yeah. So we got Andy over here, and then we'll have. I'm the other Andrew, or the worst Andrew, since you're the better. <laughs> yeah. um, but I've been. Um, I, I ran in the same circles as Steve. Uh, back with uh, Eastgate uh, Community Bible Church, but uh, didn't know Steve, I think back then, heard of him when he was doing his time, and uh, you know, Chris would talk about you, 
and then um, I think once he got out, he kind of hooked us up. We started, you know, doing kind of life together, community together. And I've heard pieces, bits and pieces of his story, but tonight's, uh, I guess, the full story. And so uh, we're going to try and ask some questions, pull some things out. Yeah. And I finally get the full story. <laughs> True. Uh, so you guys will be helping uh, keep me uh, on task as far as like if I'm getting a little, um, maybe a little redundant, or if uh, I'm not clarifying things, I'm going to try to do everything as chronological as possible. Uh, but there will be a few like times where I just kind of snapshot back to recogni- recognizing certain things. Um, and again, I've never shared my story from the, the whole part of it from start to finish. So this is going to be new for me as well. Uh, okay, so let's get going. Um, I ha- was born and raised in San Antonio, and um, I became a Christian at 19. That wasn't, um, even though I grew up in a Christian home, it wasn't, uh, a given that I was going to become a Christian. I actually went to college. I started doing some real like introspection, and it was the first time I had been away from my family. And I started asking like questions like you know like what's the point of life? Like why am I going to college? And things like that. Um, I wasn't getting the answers that I sought. I also wasn't getting the answers from the little bit of Christian community I was watching on campus, like Campus Crusade and stuff like that. It just seemed kind of empty to me. So I just went into this massive, massive party phase, mm-hmm. and I'm in. I went from, I didn't drink at all in high school, uh, and to all of a sudden I was um, the guy that was organizing all the parties. At some point I uh, became a bit of a drug runner for uh, Texas Tech College campuses in, our, in my dorm. Um, and uh, um, I, at, at one point I even um, got a checkbook from one of the guys that we didn't like, and we were using his checks, so they were hot checks, we were using them to fund our parties. Um, and, uh, just gotten a lot of fights, gotten, just gotten a lot of trouble. I ended up getting kicked out of about three different dorms during that time. And so at the time, this is 1996, uh, Texas Tech was, had just been rated by Playboy magazine as being the, the party, uh, college campus of America. Um, in fact, our girls were on the front cover of Playboy magazine for their college. <laughs> um, yeah, they had the centerpiece or whatever. Raider pride. Yeah. Yeah, Raider Pride. Jared's <laughs> like, I remember those years. Um, so uh, <laughs> it's true, actually. So anyway, that uh, it was quite a feat when I managed for them to pull me into the dean's office and say, "Hey, uh, we're gonna have to expel you uh, unless you want to maybe give it another go and try to come back." And I was like, I think if I came back, I'd kill myself. I was like, I got no direction here. I'm, I'm, I'm totally lost at what I'm even doing here. So uh, I ended up, yeah, I got ex- I got expelled from Texas Tech uh, for <laughs> seven years or whatever it was, um, because of the way that I just kind of uh, was unhinged mm. and, and didn't were, have anything to ground me. You were there for seven years. Yeah, I wasn't Chris. I wasn't. I wasn't Tommy Boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I made it one semester. Okay. <laughs> yeah, one semester. Oh, so. Fall semester of '96, uh, and uh, expulsion time. So, yeah. expulsion so time. you were expelled for seven years. Yeah, expelled for okay, seven okay. years. Yeah, it may have been longer, but I, I think I remember seeing the back. note. Never went back. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I got kicked out, um, and then I started doing some soul searching, and one thing led to another, and I just was like, I never really gave God a real shot, so I decided I would. Excuse me. I would take um. 
I would take some time just to kind of do some evaluation. Uh, I had some cousins in Wichita Falls, and I thought that would be a good place to get away. So I went to Wichita Falls and uh, eventually kind of just broke down. And every which way I looked at it, I needed something to deal with what I felt was wrong inside. And for me, the only thing I could identify what was wrong was sin, and then therefore sin led me to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was the only one and the only person and the only thing that actually kind of dealt with that. And the moment that I made that decision—so I grew up in Christianity my whole life, but for me, having a personal decision, like, I'm going to own this, that was like a game-changer for me. And it grounded me. It like it, it put stability under my feet. It gave me a foundation. It gave me clarity. And so instantly I just became a, a different type of person. I started approaching life differently. Um, so I, I was real serious about it, but not— like, I want to make this a career. So I didn't want to be a pastor, but I wanted to understand it more, so that led me to uh, Bible school at His Hill. I went to Bible school for two years. Um, so wait, how long were you in Wichita? Uh, so I was in Wichita Falls for about three or about three or four months. Okay. Yeah. And just while I was there, you know, I was just kind of uh, hanging out with the church, the youth group that was mm-hmm. there. Um, and then I was kind of like, okay, I need to, I need to look at what I can do further, and so I was like, well, maybe I can go back to school. So I went back home, talked to my parents you about it, flirting with going in the military. And, and I was I was definitely thinking about going in the military, so it was go in the military or go to yeah. Bible school. So that three or four months was, that it sounds like that was a pivotal kind of time. Yes. Because you, you that's when you came to Christ, even though you were raised in it. Yeah. So you came to Christ. Was there anyone who was instrumental in that kind of time, or was it just... Like, it, it kind of settled? You settled into that? Well, okay, so March 5th, uh, 1997, that's when I became a Christian. Um, I arrived in Wichita Falls uh, sometime in, like, mid-April, mm. so I could start prepping for the Army to get ready, because okay. I'd started to kind of blow up from all that Steve drinking in at college. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which one puts me on the front lines? <laughs> They're like, hey, you actually did really good on your, uh, what do you call it, your military te- ASVAP test? <laughs> And they're like, yeah, you could be an uh, engineer. You can do this. And I'm like, what? What? Uh, where can I see combat the quickest? What's an engineer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, For 500 less. <laughs> so, uh, but I was I was moving in that direction, and I the the key players during that time for me were my cousins uh, Danny and Salita. So Danny and Salita uh, were not the ones that I would expect in the family to gravitate towards God. Or towards Christianity. So when I came across them, and they had done that, I was that really kind of piqued my interest. Like, why are you giving God a chance? I, I didn't think you'd be that interested. And so I just kind of I was real bored in Wichita Falls. There was nothing to do at that time. So I just ended up tagging along with what they were doing. And then one thing led to another. They did a lot of church events, and then mm-hmm. I started, you know. And then eventually I broke down and was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Do you think uh, it was obviously it was impactful <laughs> because it. Uh, was where you actually gave your life to Christ, but uh, <clears throat> the fact that it was uh, a charismatic church or the assembly of God, and then it was something probably you haven't seen before growing up, uh, because we were always around like more conservative type believers. Um, no, I just think it was the right time. Mm. Yeah, they were definitely very excited. Um, that time frame, uh, it's uh, for for people that are coming across Christianity right now, Christianity back then in the mid-90s was something completely different than what you're seeing right now, as far as it was just, there was an excitement to it, there was this, there was a, a relevancy and a freshness to it, and it didn't, uh, 
feels so whatever it is right now, which is kind of like redundant, oppressive, um, uh, not re- relatable, not um, relevant. Uh, it, it didn't seem it wasn't that way at all. The culture was moving with it. Yeah, the culture wasn't like super opposed to it. They actually the culture wouldn't even really kind of take into account. Yeah. Um, now, if you're listening, if you're listening to this, you may be thinking this is a Christian podcast, but this is actually a um, so Prison Steve podcast is a story of my life, and so what I'm going to be sharing are the most impactful things that were along my journey. And Jesus Christ and my faith is a massive part of this story. So that, yeah, you were going to find a lot of this element, you know, as we're as we're talking, and so. Yeah, so my cousins Danny and Salita were a major influence on that. But eventually I was like, I need to kind of spread my wings and see what I can do here. So I ended up going to uh, His Hill Bible School uh, for a year. Then I ended up working for a little bit after that, still trying to find my rhythm and what I was supposed to be doing. And I didn't want to go back to college. I still couldn't find a reason for that uh, for me. And I didn't really have a skill trade or life skill that I wanted to develop and really kind of, I just wasn't finding my passions. And and um, and a lot of people are like, oh, you love God, and you have a. It's not too hard for you to talk about God. You should go be a pastor. It was like the routine thing that they would say, and I would just be like, look, I don't want to do that. I'm not connecting with that. Um, so I resisted that. So during that time, I'm looking for something to kind of steady me. And um, anyway, uh, I would go back to Bible school for another year. Then I would come out, and then I would still be looking. I would still be searching. So I've done two years of Bible school. I've been a Christian now for maybe four or five years, and I still feel kind of like a little bit lost. I'm happy, but I don't really have a, much of a, like, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm, I'm not really sure what to do with my life. And so I pass on some really good opportunities because I'm still like, there's got to be something there for me. Then I hear this guy speaking, and he's from India, and he is talking about his country and how they have these needs. And he said, why don't you guys come? And he's talking to us. And he said, the country's amazing, you know, we've, we've got desert, we've got ocean, we've got jungle, we've got everything you can think, it's a total adventure. And something about the way he delivered it, I was like, hey, like, that kind of clicks for me. And, uh, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Army of God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Indian Army of God. Not Netflix version. <laughs> so, oh, Army, of the dead, so. Army of the Dead, that was a good one. Uh, so... For me, I started looking into missions, and uh, missions was something I didn't feel like, uh, I didn't really fully understand it, and I definitely didn't feel qualified for it, but I'm like, my heart was like locked in. I was like, yeah, I love this, and there was something about it that was just super exciting to me. So what I ended up doing was uh, I ended up at Eastgate. Eastgate uh, CBC Church gave me a chance to uh, pursue missions, and I really just wanted to get out there and and try it out, and CBC gave me that opportunity. So in 2004, I went and did a uh, community Bible church here in San Antonio, big church, uh, got bigger. But yeah, it, so I went to CBC, and they said, yeah, we'll bring you on board. We actually have a missions trip to Africa. It's a three-month internship, so it's not mm, like a little baby cool. trip to Mexico. Not that Mexico's a baby, but... Uh, <laughs> It's it's three months. It's an internship, and I was like, if that's the first thing you got, I'll take it. And says, yeah. So my first trip overseas uh, was um, 2004, and it was a three month trip to Africa. And from the moment that we boarded, the moment I got together with my team and we started getting ready for it, I, I knew it. I was like, this is 
this is it. Mm. I love this. I'm doing exactly what I want to do and want to be a part of. And when I got to Africa, it was not easy. It was not fun. Um, but I absolutely fell in love with just the whole process of traveling and hearing other people from other countries approaching their faith and then also just approaching like needs of their community and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome because... That was Uganda. That was Uganda, yeah. Right. Three months in Uganda. That was your first mission? That was my first mission <laughs> wow. trip. Wow. Yeah. We went in deep. Yeah. <laughs> first one. Usually, usually people go with yeah. South America, yeah. Mexico. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't really buy a small trip. <laughs> You went across the big, uh, the big pond. No, we did with Bible school. We did go to Mexico a few times, and we uh, I, I did go to Guanajuato, and that's kind of deep Mexico. Um, and we, but we went with a group, and I wasn't really like I was just kind of doing what the Bible school did, mm-hmm. you know. And it was a lot of fun. It's beautiful colonial city, and uh, had an amazing time. Like that was that piqued my interest. But what I saw, just even just the time when we were uh, laid over in Europe, and then also uh, on the way over there. And then just coming back, like everything about the whole trip was just like, this is it. This is what I want to do. So when I got back to Eastgate, I just jumped full board into, yeah. I want to do this again. And they said, well, we if for us to really kind of get behind you, we need to see that you're doing it locally too. So I said, well, what do I do? And they said, well, we need somebody with Eastgate that will kind of head up some local things. I said, okay, I'll try that. And so... I got in with Eastgate and told them, hey, I want to do missions, and they want me to do local stuff, so I want to start organizing local events. So we started doing like um, uh, things with the homeless. like and It was all stuff we organized on like on our own. We didn't do it with like, specific groups. Uh, we would do the soup kitchens. We would do the Ronald McDonald House. Um, and we would just do uh, different things like to go mow lawns for single mothers and it, just whatever kind of came off the cuff, and then also just developing a community. And... Uh, in that time, I got another chance to go to uh, Ecuador for two weeks. Mm. Again, just I was like, I love this. This is who I, what I want to do. Um, and I was like, this is it. I found my purpose. I'm, I'm just, everything was cruising in my mm. life, and it was great. And uh, then, so uh, my best friend uh, at the time, and, and still to this day, Chris Nickel, he was also co-running the community side of Eastgate. So we were doing like community stuff together. And he had just gotten back from Azerbaijan when I got back from Uganda. So we really kind of connected with the whole missions, traveling aspect of things. Go Google where Azerbaijan is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to say it to his face when he was there, but I was like, where the heck is Azerbaijan? <laughs> <laughs> so where, where is it? Uh, so it's actually right near to, uh, Armenia. In okay. fact, they're... Uh, Arch enemies with Armenia right mm. now with uh, border issues and Save me a Google search. yeah, because yeah. uh, we know where Armenia is. Okay, so uh, <laughs> let's 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 go. I know roughly east yeah. of Turkey. Just yes. shoot east of Turkey towards the stands. Yeah, and you keep going. You hit China. I know where I know where it's at because some of all fears. <laughs> <laughs> is it in Istanbul? Yeah. Okay. But what he's just like yeah. Go through oh oh our, uh, airspace. Yeah. Uh-huh. To screw Russia, they won't. <laughs> they, won't uh, they won't give you a problem. So, uh, Andrew actually, ha- how long were you in China? A uh, year and a half. A year and a half. So, go that. west of China, <laughs> past the stands, and then yeah. you'll hit Azerbaijan. <laughs> yeah, I'll use what you're uh, familiar with. So, all the traveling stuff I'm talking about, like, Andrew's very relevant, uh, or very uh, relatable in, because he's done that himself and experienced I've been, that. I've been to Cancun. Yeah. I... Not on the mission trip. <laughs> Uh, so 
yeah, so uh, anyway, me and Chris really connected on the whole mission thing, and uh, we started talking about it, and opportunity came to go to Albania. And so it was to go to Albania for a year. Now, this is going to be our first, this would be my first, like, actual mission type of work where you actually raise money, like, um, uh, like you're a nonprofit, you raise money, and you're supposed to raise money on a month-to-month basis, so you have people supporting you month-to-month, and, um, and then you come up with X amount that you need. And, and for us to stay there, you didn't need much. Um, but what I found out in the process was every single time I had to go to do one of these mission trips, I was paying for it out of my own pocket. I never wanted to raise money. I was like, ah, I could work. I can raise it with my own, my own hands. So uh, I didn't want to burden anybody else with, cause to me, this felt like it was like, this is my passion project. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, Maybe, maybe a little pride there. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, well, it, it was it was pride, but it was pride to protect my insecurities. Yeah. What I found when I start when they said, "Hey, you got to raise money, and we're going to send you to classes so you can figure out how to do it and why you're doing it this way," it didn't matter what I heard or what I learned. All I when I sat down from somebody and shared what I was doing, I felt like a salesperson. And then when it came time to say, "Hey, would you support me?" All I heard. F- internally was I can't do it I can't support myself yeah. and I can't support my own dreams so I need you to support me I all I heard was inadequacy 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 so that was now did was I understanding that that was going on at the time no I just I freaking hated it I hated it more than anything so I made it only like I only did it a handful of times and finally I was like screw this I'm just gonna save whatever money I can making 525 an hour at habanero's grill and Working less than forty hour work weeks. <laughs> yeah. <This is laughs> Way different time. Early <laughs> For those that live in San Antonio, I just dated myself. Uh yeah. So working five twenty five, thirty five hours a week, I'm gonna save up whatever I can and um and then whatever I have is what I have. And I just had this idea that God's gonna sustain me through this because mm-hmm. hey, he's the one that woke this up. He like this I didn't go searching for this passion. This thing came to me. So I was just kind of like, yeah, it'll work itself out. So anyway, uh, we ended up taking off um, in uh, 2006. We ended up taking off. So we'd been at Eastgate together serving, me and Chris, for two years. And we go overseas. We actually end up flying into Europe, see some friends, and we uh, fly into Italy, and then we train in. And all of that created more travel hunger for me because I was seeing more places and it was it was fascinating, and we were doing everything differently. Took a boat into Albania, which we find out nobody else does. <laughs> Everyone flies in or takes a bus or something. Uh, and so we came in with the, all the Albanians. Anyway, we we got into Albania, and it, same thing. I mean, this thing was like, I I just absolutely loved everything about it. And again, it's not to say that it was easy, because mm-hmm. living in Albania in the middle of summer without AC is yeah. not easy. It's, uh, it's, 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 but the, it was all part of the experience and it was just like, but the whole time that I'm there, I've got a, I went and I cashed out all my money and I put it on my dresser and I had a stack of money like this. And as time went on, I just watching that stack go and go. Cause I'd come in, I pull 20 lira, I'd go do what I need to do with it. And then I come back and I pay my rent, hmm. pull the lira, Go buy this, pull the lyric. I'm just watching that stack get down and get down and get down. So we had planned after six months, we were going to fly back to the States because we had a, a free flight given to us that required us to come back 
and then we would kind of resettle and then come back to Albania because it was for a whole year. So the way it worked, though, was my money just lasted me just enough to get back. So after six months, the whole time I'm sitting there going, it'll work itself out. It'll work itself out. What I've noticed that I will block something out if I don't want to think about it. And uh, <laughs> it wasn't for me. So when I get there, I just it dawned on me, I don't have the money to go back to Albania. And I was like, I guess I could go ask for help. But at that point, now I feel even more inadequate than ever. Mm. And so I'm just sitting there like, God, you got to pull something out. You got to pull something out of your pocket to make this happen. You're the one that told me to go. You're the one that gave me the passion for this thing. Like, why are you denying this for me? Because I know what I want to do now. I know who I am. And then when it came time, Chris is like, all right, I got to fly back. And I'm like, I can't go with you. I don't have the money. And at that point, me and my relationship with the church broke. Mm. I didn't want to go back to church. I didn't go back to Eastgate. I didn't go back to CBC. I was just, I, I think I was, I was ashamed was one. Um, I was ashamed to show my face because I didn't, I couldn't complete the mission. Um, and I was angry because I felt like they let me down, even though they didn't know what was going the on. church let you down? Yeah. 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 And, and I just said church as a whole. Eastgate, I didn't want to show up at because I was embarrassed. Church, I didn't want to go to because I was angry. Yeah. You, sh- you associate, associate them with your... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I didn't see it as my failure. I saw it as a failure of the system. So I started this trend of blaming the system. Mm. The system what was what so I'm not actually blaming people, I'm blaming a system, which makes it easier to kind of carry that uh hatred and anger. System or the church? Both. Okay. So you yeah. finally found it sounds like you finally found something that, that you want in life and then it was taken away from you, like they didn't provide you, God didn't follow through or the church didn't. Yeah. That's that's very succinct. That's exactly how I how I felt. Now, did I internalize it and verbalize it to myself that way? No, I didn't. I just was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go. And so I didn't. But I still wanted to do missions, and I still wanted to travel, and I still wanted to be a part of what I was seeing out there. And we had talked about doing, um, me, Chris, and this uh, girl named Sarah, all of us had a heart for missions travel, but we specifically had a heart for, uh, and this is a time that nobody was talking about this, but sex trafficking. And so we started researching where sex trafficking was really hot and where it was like corridor, like the corridor for it. And we found that Istanbul, because it's a gateway between East and West and between Europe and Asia, was one of the real hot spots that they were trafficking women and Mm -hmm. children through. So we were like, this is something we eventually want to do together. Well, Chris is in Albania. I'm doing nothing. And I just make up my mind, I'm going to go to... I'm going to go to Istanbul and I'm going to make an, I'm going to like an establish a home base and when they're ready, they'll come meet us. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. Again, I saved up the money at, and, and did, I, how did you save up the money? Were you working, working again? Yeah. Where, and I, Habanero? Uh, no, I forget where I was working actually. You, so you came uh, back. Landscaping. Landscaping. Was, yeah. So you came back. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Stateside. Okay. Yeah. This is a free flight back. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I had flown back from Albania. And Chris flies back to Albania, and I have am stuck in the states. And so, I uh, was like, I can save up. I can start saving up for this. And I did. I saved up. I actually saved up enough to take a uh, uh, about two month uh, backpacking trip through Central America with a friend of mine uh, who bailed on me, Ben Smith, early on. Ended up doing did my first go? solo backpacking. Oh, wow. Yeah, he yeah. bailed on me in Costa Rica. 
Mm. And so I just ended up backpacking the rest of Central America back up to the States, which was its own adventure. Yeah. All the way through Mexico? Uh, no, I, I stopped oh. in, I stopped in uh, Guatemala. Mm. Yeah, because of a Greek girl. And just stayed there. Now, I was supposed like to. A, I was supposed to work like my way back podcast. to Mexico. <laughs> Sounds like the, how every great story. Starts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, so. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, we. Uh, so I, 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 I saved up enough to do that trip, and then also, um, because I could budget backpack. I only had when I left for Istanbul. I only had twenty five hundred dollars, like to my name. And so, but for me, that was more money than I'd ever saved up before. So I was like, oh, I'm going to live like a king. And um, and then I was like, when I get there, I'll get a job, you know. And I had seen people get jobs that were traveling, so I didn't think it was that big of a deal. So, uh, again, I fly in. I fly into Europe. I meet Israel and then uh, uh, another friend of ours, and we road trip around Europe for a little bit. And then eventually I take a train into Istanbul and I'm there. Is <laughs> yeah, his name is Israel. You didn't meet the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not considering a whole country. Yeah. So, I think they got that. So you were, you were angry throughout this time. So the, through the backpacking trip and also with, with Istanbul, were you contemplating missions at that point? Or you were like, you know, every person I meet, I'm still on fire for God. Or is it it's kind of gone yeah, into that, bitterness at this point? No, that's a good question. Um, I was, uh, I, my anger had, had died out. And I was just kind of like, you know what? Um, I didn't really think about the church. I just thought about the mission field. And I was like, I still want to get out there. But I didn't really have a vision or plan. I was just like, establish a home base, and then we'll work from there. Um, But I wasn't really angry anymore. But there was a bit of a disconnect that Mm -hmm. was still going on, because I didn't have any type of support. I wasn't connected to any church. And... um, the, the the closest thing I had to support was Chris knew what I was doing, mm-hmm. and that was about it. What would, Chris what and about Sarah, your, Chris and Sarah knew okay. what I was doing. What about like your walk with God, like at that point? Yeah, so that was actually like real broken and sporadic. Like it was, uh, just because I think when I came back and the disconnect and the anger, I just stopped talking to him as much. Um, I was. It's like it's like you, you go through that season where you're consciously aware of God but you're not engaging him, but you're always consciously aware of him. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what was going on during that time. And so I would, I would read my Bible every now and then. I would talk to God every now and then. I would be open about who I was or my faith, but that's kind of as far as it would go. Yeah. So, um, so what happened in Istanbul um, was I was there for— um, I ended up staying there for about a year, uh, just a little bit over a year. And I did end up getting a job— and I met some amazing people. I had an amazing time. There was a there was a church that that was kind of planted there that I could kind of connect with and see what they were doing. Um, uh, so I started up doing uh, teaching English. Uh, I was supposed to be recruiting English teachers for this company, and they had a falling out with one of their teachers. So they said, "Hey, mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna in. yeah, you're, you get to fill in, and you're gonna say that you have a degree." And that you are extremely well versed in teaching English to foreign students. And I you said, teach sure. So they take me like Istanbul is massive, right? So you have the main center part where every, all the tourists hang out, and then you have the eastern part, the Asian side, where all the locals are, and then you have the outskirts, which is like locals and then some. And so they ended up driving me all the way across this far side of the city and dropped me off at the school, and it was a very, very traditional Muslim school. Mm. 
uh, it was like the Baptist, Southern Baptists of uh, of 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 uh, Islamic practices there in Turkey. And so I'm teaching at their private school, but we got along great because I showed them movies and the kids loved mm-hmm. me and and I and I love Turkey, so I would talk to the staff all the time about their country. So they just kind of really took to me. Uh, so it, it worked out well, but it was very uh, surreal to be teaching these uh, Muslim kids that were at this very high end prep school mm-hmm. that would a lot of them would end up. Uh, having like high running positions in in the country in the future, and then eventually I fell out with uh, the guys that recruited me um, because he was fell out with them. Well, because he was beating uh, the, so so the people that I was working with, uh, the guy that owned the company, uh, Karai, he uh, he was uh, started being really violent towards one of the women there, mm. and so I told him I said, hey, I can't be around this, you know, I can't support this, I can't be around this. And uh, so I ended up leaving, and he ended up sicking the mafia, <laughs> the Turkish mafia on me. But the friends that I had made in the center part of Istanbul were also mafia connected. Mm, there we go. So they were like, "Look, if you hang out here and you're with us, you're gonna be fine." And so I was like, "Yeah, I'll hang out. What do I do?" And they're like, "Hence a precursor." Yeah, little did I. He's getting recruited. Little did I know. Yeah. And and then I was like, "What do yeah, I do?" Me. Well, what do I do for for work? And then they're like, "Oh, we well, can just run our bar. You could be a bartender here." And I was like, "This is the best life ever." <laughs> so that's what I, uh, my last six months uh, in, uh, or maybe it was longer uh, there in Istanbul. I was bartending and and all that type of stuff. Now, what if you notice? I'm not talking anything about God, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because in my first week there in Istanbul. We're taking a ferry across, and uh, the Istanbul's split by a Bosphorus, but it's it's running in three parts, like around it. So it creates this peninsula right here, where the main uh, tourist area is, and like the Blue Mosque, Hagia Sophia. That's that center mm. part. Asia's on the left side, and then you got another part on the on the other side. Um, and so, but as you're, you you take ferries around to get around, and as we're crossing at dusk. At a certain point, you're surrounded by the entire three parts of the city, and if you look up, it kind of hills up, and you can see the lights from all the places, like all the uh, buildings and everything, and the the scope of humanity just in that one place is unbelievable. It's so overwhelming. And, and what is, can you clarify scope of humanity? Like, okay, so Istanbul at that time was 19 to 21 million people. Mm-hmm. San Antonio is about at my t- at that point was about 1.1 generously, uh, so it was San Antonio times 20, and so scope of humanity just meaning you're just surrounded by yeah, and a this is huge one population. Yeah, this is one city. It's overwhelming. That's part of a country. That's part of a world population, and I'd never thought of like the mass of humanity, and I just sat there as I'm as we're crossing. I'm looking across, and I was just like. What am I doing here? Yeah, I'm here to tell them. <laughs> yeah, about yeah it, things. It it, it was hum- it was it was humbling, humbling yeah. to the point of breaking. Like it broke my spirit of what in the world can Sh- I do here? The spirit, but a different kind of spirit. Yeah, it was it was humbling. <laughs> yeah, spirit. the spirit. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We did serve spirit for the jokes. <laughs> yeah, so it was humbling, humbling in a different kind of way. You just felt small in the grand scheme of things it sounds like like you were you were like i thought i knew things and now i'm here and it it turns out that you know i'm just such a small part of of the world that i have yeah. no idea of 
Yeah, and um, the sex trafficking thing wasn't really something you could openly talk about and tell people what you were there for. So trying to find support, um, just because, well, a lot of that was mafia run. A lot of that was actually sanctioned by certain government officials and things like that. And so a lot of the organizations that were doing the work were underground. So it took a while to kind of establish yourself, and they would get to know you and trust you. And I just said, just something about, I was like, how in the world, like, the amount, like, at that point, 97% of uh, in Istanbul were Muslim. Mm. And of that 97%, over 50% were atheistic. So they had it's culture. Way. Yeah, they, 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 were, they were Islamic in culture. So we have actually a lot of atheist Christians. Nominal. Yeah. We have a lot of atheist Christians that are like, yeah, you know, I they mark on, they mark Catholic on the box or Christian yeah. on the box. But but for yeah. them culture was culture they were they were culture was more a driving force in their religion than a belief in God. Mm. So um and mind trip again. Yeah, it it was it was just uh it was a it was incredible I, at that point, I think I was so mentally fragile spiritually that, and, and, and just psychologically that it wasn't going to take much to break me. That, that epiphany at that moment mm-hmm. shattered me. And so at, at that point, I just felt my foundation. So when I became a Christian, it's like a foundation slid under me, and it kind of leveled me. And then now I'm like, okay, I can be a functional part of society right mm-hmm. now. And when that part of me came under me, I didn't know where I was in society anymore because yeah. I, I was just ungrounded. I was unmoored. Um, now, again, did I know what was happening at the time? No. Looking back, I can look back and understand what happened. Um, so now we're going to get to what led me to prison. So what happened was I came back. Uh, I, I I was there in Istanbul for about a year. What did you see the Zygots? Okay, so I was in Istanbul for a year. I left there to go meet... Uh, a friend, the same one that had banned me in Costa Rica. <laughs> and I met him in Switzerland. And so we started smoking a lot of weed. And that's when Zeitgeist. As one tends to <laughs> yeah, in Switzerland. So um, uh, then a friend, uh, Israel, same friend, picked me up. And we ended up uh, road tripping to Spain. And when I was in Spain, that's when I started meeting a lot of my conspiracy theorist friends. And, um, you know, DJs with some underground movements and whatnot. And then they uh, said, hey, have you seen this new zeitgeist? And I was like, no. They showed it to me, and then that was it. I was like, my country is evil. There is an evil agenda <laughs> going so on You here. saw the monetary, the, like the monetary uh, zeitgeist. There's two different zeitgeists. I saw both. Oh, you saw both. Because I saw the religious one, too. And now, at that point, I was like, I wasn't engaged with God, but I wasn't going to buy into the fact that he didn't exist. It was more like Christianity was invented, and it, it and and I wasn't gonna listen to that either. I didn't really care, honestly. I was just kind of like I'm checked out. Hmm. And so so wait, but there's a little bit of disconnect. So in Turkey, uh, you were you were prepared to start a home base. Oh, uh, but yeah. that just kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah. So what uh, happened? Somehow. What happened was um, while I was in Turkey. Uh, Chris came back from Albania, and I just wanted him to turn right around, raise the money, and come right mm. back out and join me. Yeah. Sarah, who Sarah and Chris had came, gone to Istanbul together, 
they had introduced Sarah showed up in Istanbul when I showed up. She introduced me to some of her friends that they had made, and so that's how I developed my first contacts there. Um, so I was expecting Sarah to come join us too. When Chris got back, he felt like he needed to take a year, and so he ended up taking a job at CBC as mm-hmm. a associate or assistant pastor, pastor working with with, uh, with, with Scott, with Scott yeah. um, at Eastgate. And for me, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought you were coming out here to join <laughs> yeah. me. What am I going to do? I need direction. <laughs> I'm lost. And, uh, and, and so I guess at that point, I just turned into a traveler. Somewhere yeah. around that, that news cycle, I just was like, really, I'm not Spain, a Christian anymore. And it wasn't that I wasn't a Christian. I was like, that's not my primary objective anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, doing the doing the any type of NGO work right now is not my um, uh, uh, what do you call it uh, role mm-hmm. or purpose anymore. Yeah. I just saw myself. I changed my identity to becoming a traveler, mm-hmm. uh, which works for some people. But yeah. for me, again, I, I guess I need something to ground me much deeper for me to keep going off the rails. Um, so anyway, yeah. So when. After I saw the zeitgeist, I ended up traveling around. I burned up the rest of my money. I came back to the states, and I was just, just to clarify with with zeitgeist. That's because I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. it's some sort of a film, or it's a it's a, it's a, it's a phenomenon. Oh, okay, right. it's a film that that ends up streaming together different types of footage, uh, uh, ideology uh, to poke holes. And one was Christianity mm-hmm. and religion itself, and the other one was uh, like America, America, yeah, and the capitalists. I see. As as kind of because that guys I think means like spirit of the age. Think, so it's just like like they're saying that this is the spirit of the age. Yeah, think of a propaganda film, a modern propaganda film for Cunon. Yeah, or however Except you say it's that. On the other side. Except yeah, it's Somehow. on the other side, and it's talking about how. Um, America is part of a evilly controlled empire of people, mm-hmm. and um, it talked about the Fed was uh, just something, just this massive yeah. corrupt thing you couldn't trust. And well, that I mean, a lot Christ- of that's come true. So. Yeah, and then and then that Christianity was also a big farce that was being used to. Mm-hmm. All religions were being used to manipulate people by the higher yeah. ups, mm-hmm. um, and so and and it was at a time when conspiracy theory were really starting to kind of like pick up steam yeah. and like like carry some carry some weight uh, because the people were discovering they can communicate through the internet very effectively and at that time. It was post, uh, I think it was post, was it post uh, The Inconvenient Truth? Uh, yes, I think so. And so like that, The Inconvenient Truth was like one of the first forays into yeah. setting the narrative. Yeah. And that's exactly what the Zygos does is it sets the narrative. Uh, so that it basically takes away uh, any type of platform to where you can't have any foothold if you're following along the narrative. Yeah. And so it's one something called um, uh, begging the question mm. in terms of logic terms. Was this was this about ninety nine two thousand? Oh no no no! This when, is when so, you encountered it. Yeah. So when I encountered it was in two thousand seven. Oh so. wow. Okay. Yeah. So two thousand. We spent quite a bit. Two, yeah. Two thousand two thousand four was Uganda. Two thousand six was Albania. Two thousand seven and two thousand eight was Istanbul. Okay. To kind of timeline okay. it. Mm-hmm. 
So that's when I came across this is in 2000, 2008. I first started first hearing about a lot of these theories among the travelers and all that type of stuff in that community in 2007, but 2008 is when I really heard about that. Yeah. And what it happened was it, it unmoors you even more. So now not only can I not have, do I not have a spiritual foundation of something I can really lean into as my purpose, I also can't trust society anymore because society is yeah. um, uh, corrupted and gross. So now I'm like, I'm seeing two evils on two fronts, and I'm like, where in the heck am I yeah, supposed to be? There's no answer. And when I came yeah. back, when I came back home, I was like, okay, I'm going to. I actually told myself, you're going to remain positive, you're going to find a good job, and you're going to save up money so that you can go right back out and travel, because mm-hmm. you're a traveler. This is what you do now. This is your new identity. Mm-hmm. So no, that's no matter what you find your passion in traveling. Yeah, and and that was part of it though. Like what I. I still so I didn't understand that. What was it about traveling that was exciting me so much? I, w- I would find that out in a little bit. Um, so that's 2008. Um, I ended up getting a job at a movie theater called Palladium Movie Theater. Uh, the guy that I had been friends with that abandoned me in Costa Rica that had um, um, uh, <laughs> introduced me uh, to uh, the convenience of weed in Switzerland. Um, his name was Ben and, um, so he became kind of like my partner in crime of just not literally negative, just, just to be clear, yeah, not literally, but <laughs> cause the crime hadn't happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, he became kind of like my, the, the, the wall that I would throw my negative ball against and he would bounce it right back. And so, um, I got a job at the Palladium Movie Theater, and w- something about getting that job just it demoralized me because I was like, I've traveled the world, I've done this, I've done that, I've been teaching Muslim countries, I manage a bar in Istanbul, I blah blah blah. Yeah, it's and not, it's I, not sexy. And, and like, <laughs> it's and just, not sexy. And, and just and just to like like nail it home, your benefactor, sort of speak. Um, or your ambassador to your negativity is the person who has experienced nothing that you've really experienced. He's the kind of person that was never wanted for really anything mm-hmm. and has all the time in the world to mess up things or like to to go off the rails. And yeah. so like he has befriended this person yourself yeah. who has His name's tra- Ben, yeah. Yeah, Ben, who we're talking about is traveled but is he's never worked to save up for his own trips on the, on yeah. the like on like just the opposite pretty much for the opposite of what he's at so you're yeah. gonna listen to this huh so you're gonna listen to this yeah yeah, yeah prob- probably no i don't know maybe we good okay. but it's fine he knows he knows who he is and <laughs> but, it's, but it's, it's more so not to say, and he he to say anything about ben at yeah the point it's more so to say just like, set the he found context commonality yes in someone who was the con kind of contrast to him yeah. But the same ideology, I guess. Yeah, the villain and protagonist in this story is me. Mm-hmm. I, I actually, I would say that I ruined his life more than he ever ruined mine, mm-hmm. because I was the elder. I had been a Christian longer. We got to know each other at Eastgate. I'm the one that's supposed to be kind of like speaking truth to him, and le- but instead, because he's listening to my negativity and not throwing it back in my face, I'm like. Oh, okay. I got an audience here, and I just kept yeah. this negative spew of just anger, and I become so freaking angry. And I don't know, Andrew, if you picked up on any of that during that time period, but 
You know, it's like it was I was very retrospectively maybe, but like uh, like my my like a lot of my rants against the government and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, no, I got that. Okay, but I just didn't know the extent to which you were internalizing it. Right. So what happened was, um, again, uh, I'm sharing some retrospect things because I didn't know what was going on at the time. I was just really upset, and I'm working this crap job, um, and I just became depressed. I became absolutely just totally um, just uh, uh, insecure about myself. Everything I saw, I was internalizing in a negative way. And I was also, everything I was seeing, like, I'm working this crap job because I was rejected by all these other places that didn't see my potential. I'm having to do this, and I couldn't, I can't be in missions because church didn't see my potential. And it was always like negative internalization and then uh, negative um, external, like output. About how long? Uh, So, well, uh, that lasted all of 2000. I mean, that lasted. So I would say my depression kicked in somewhere right around December Mm -hmm. of 2008. And then uh, 2009 kicked over. I left left the Palladium after a few months. Um, And then I was just doing some landscaping and some handful of jobs. Yeah, kind of like picking around, but well, and at that oh, go ahead. what's what's interesting is that that at that time I was just about to say that, that time, yeah, it's like with your whole distrust of the system, the mm-hmm. system was breaking. Yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So that was another. That's a really good point. Um, I actually saw what was happening. So it was like confirming. Yeah, all your fears. Your, your, what you have it's like look at the government. The two thousand eight housing out. crisis. They're screwing us up. Yeah. yeah. And then like the the crash, and then like. The bailouts and then, like everything that was happening was, and then jobs are scarce too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was. So I, you know, I didn't even think about that was part of what was affecting not being able to get a job. I was so internally like, "F you guys, <laughs> how can you not see what I'm bringing to the table here?" And then um, my insecurities about like the way I looked, I was like, "It must be because I'm fat. They're not. That's why they're not." They're not bringing me on because some, of that. Some you know? microaggressions. It was some microaggressions. But in this case, macro. Yeah. <laughs> if it happened now, I'd be like, it's because I'm white. <laughs> macro. <laughs> um, so I was. Take a shower. I live in a van down by the river. Um, and so uh, I just started spiraling. And I would say sometime around February is when I first started being, I was like, you know what? Um, I don't want to wait to go back overseas, and I don't want to wait to save up money. How can I get money fast? And (laughs) I was like, well, you're always watching movies about these crimes, and they're always being, and you see all these crimes being done by really dumb people. You should be able, (laughs) (laughs) you should be able to figure out how to get this done without getting caught. And so, so the, the morality of it didn't come into play at all? Oh, absolutely not. Why, why do you think that was? Because I didn't, um, as long as I was targeting somebody that I thought was guilty, mm-hmm. so if you were part of the system, or if you would be backed up by insurance, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't hurt you. Um, if I went after a drug dealer, I mean, yeah. <laughs> who cares if I took out a drug dealer, you know, or, or I took down a crack house or, or something the other like drug that. Dealers. <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen movie, movie theaters? It took me locking up, uh, being locked up with drug dealers. Yeah, it took me being locked up with drug dealers to realize, oh my gosh, no, you know, you guys are great human beings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I ever. Was a drug. I don't care who you talk to. Um, 
that's true. So I, I started, uh, what, I, what I did is um, I told my friend Ben, hey, this is what I'm thinking about doing. And Ben's like, yeah, you could probably pull that off, right? And this so, great friend, <laughs> right called, there. Called yeah. <laughs> was, this, was this while you were smoking weed? No, no, no. Oh, you could probably pull weed, this off. Weed man. only took place overseas. I, for, uh-huh. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to try to get a hold of it while I was in the states. But there was a there was some alcohol involved. But that's a question a lot of people ask me: What kind of drugs were you on? Were you on medication? And were you drinking a lot during this time? Not and I was were like, you on drugs? What kind of drugs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you write that down for me? <laughs> I was on the buttered popcorn with the palladium, <laughs> which is its own drug. So I, uh, I, um, I wasn't on anything really. I wasn't even drinking that much. Uh, it, I was high on negativity, and so what I did was I started. Um, uh, I just started randomly following different people around to try to kind of figure out which one I felt. I was what I didn't understand was I was moving into predator mode hmm. and I was starting to look at everybody and everything as prey. And so I would go to certain parts of town and um, I would try to find and watch where the drugs were, like the deals were happening and stuff like that. And it's a lot harder to spot than you think. Hmm. Um, and uh, so I was, if I probably, if I had found a drug dealer that I could have followed to their house, I would have assumed it would have been a crack house and I probably would have tried to take it down. Because that was my first option. And you wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Uh, or I'd still be inside because something would have gone wrong. Christian Slater got away with Ventura. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so, did, did you ever do this kind of stuff at any other point in your life to where it's... I mean, just the disconnect. Just you're not... You don't look outside of yourself and you're just like, I'm following drug dealers around to, no. to try to bump them off. It didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind as being abnormal. Huh. I had now, now all you have to do is be an Uber driver. <laughs> yeah, um, I uh, it's 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 interesting. Um, even you bringing it up to me is like a reminder of didn't you check? Didn't the disconnect sit in? And I was just like, no, it didn't. It didn't even for one second sit in, and I didn't even think about it. So uh, from that point, I started going into wealthy neighborhoods. And uh, getting into their mailboxes and looking at their mail to find out, like, if I could find information on. Because then uh, it moved into more violent, um, maybe we can start doing what they call tiger kidnappings. And so I'd done my research on this. <laughs> oh, it's not a traditional kidnapping, it's tiger kidnapping, to where you kidnap somebody and you hold their family hostage and force them to uh, go to their place of business or go to their bank and extrapolate what you want out, mm. and yada, yada, yada. Um, and then I started sitting outside of other uh, places of employment uh, to kind of get a gauge on like what it would be like time-wise to, to do a robbery or whatnot. Um, and yeah, so I mean, that was from February all the way up until uh, uh, sometime in April. Mm-hmm. I was just cru- uh, uh, cr- cruising around yeah. trying to figure out like what I could what I could do that would be the uh, the most effective with the least amount of harm because I still didn't want to hurt anybody I yeah. didn't want to harm anyone yeah. I wanted it to be as simple and clean as possible but I also just didn't want to get caught either obviously um, so yeah so I mean it sounds like so your motivator is to get back overseas towards a thing that you love um, and you're in this 
depressed situation kind of thing. You've kind of been radicalized to where you, um, I, I guess you believe the system is bad and you don't mind taking somebody out. But how much did the depression play into, like if you weren't depressed, would you still be, I don't know, on this on this kind of trajectory? I don't, th- I don't, th- I I really don't think so. Um, what what happened was, um, anytime I felt like somebody was trying to talk to me, and trying to find out where I was at, so Chris would kind of like ask me like, "Hey, how are, you, are you all right? Like, how's it going? You know, what's going on?" They would tr- they would try to invite me to like they would invite me to their their Bible studies. I would go to their Bible studies because these are my friends. Yeah, but we're talking about something that is not relevant to me anymore. So I would just sit there. And I wouldn't say You've anything. Just checked out. Yeah, I've just totally checked out. Um, but if I wasn't depressed, I probably would have came up to somebody and said, "Hey, man, I'm lost. I don't know what's going on." But because I was in this very victim mindset, and I didn't want help, anytime I felt anybody was trying to help me or talk to me, I would. Um, even Scott noticed. He's like, "Man, something's you know, it's like something's going on, man." Good he's job. like, "Do you need any help?" I'm oh, sorry, my brother. Uh, mm-hmm. Our brother Scott, um, and yeah, <laughs> he asked me. He said, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, we'll see how it goes." Um, he asked me. He said, "Hey, are you doing okay, man?" Because uh, I, t- I, at some point, I thought I told him, "Hey, I think I'm just gonna leave." Because it got to a point where I was like, "Maybe I should just leave." Maybe because I started associating San Antonio with being part of the negativity. I, w- I was very negative about San Antonio, yeah. negative about life here. Being super boring and and there's nothing here, yeah. And, um, and then I started kind of resenting my family because I was like, I keep coming back here because of them, yeah. Because I love them too much, or because yeah. they're holding me back from all this travel and wonder, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, so and again, when you're in depression, you're not making sense. You're not a logical person. Well, you're you're essentially acting as someone who has had a breakdown. Yeah, like uh, people who have nervous breakdowns, they're just out of their body. And act, like just survival mode, sort of, <coughs> where they're just acting um, in a way that is outside of their normal being, but they just don't know what they're actually doing when they're doing it. Yeah. And so they will make decisions that are detrimental to themselves and the people around them. Um, but it's almost like being in a trance. Yeah. Like being in a trance. It, it, it very much was like that. Um, I remember at some point, um, damn, uh, Xanax, uh, Ben was like, Hey, you ever tried Xanax? I was like, no. And he's like, man, it's amazing. You're like calm all the time. You don't feel anything. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so I'll try it. So he gave, yeah, he's like, you only want to take half. And so he gave me a, a packet of it and he says, you only want to take half. So I took half. I felt nothing. So later on I was like, well, I'll try a little bit more. So I tried half and one, nothing. And then I would try two. I'd still feel nothing. And I would just be, and I, I think. Sounds like the Fresno it, pepper it, story. <laughs> I was like, isn't that the point? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Xanax, yeah. Well, it was, yeah, that, yeah, maybe. You but feel no change. here's the thing no. is that, like you said, I was in a trance. So even when I'm taking Xanax, I don't feel any type of change. Huh. Like, that's just where I'm at. Yeah. I'm so emotionally, you're, you're mentally already, disconnected. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so depressed that you're, I guess you're just flatlined emotionally. Catch up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy's. <laughs> This so guy's way more effed up than we In the past, you've mentioned um, like you would hear voices almost like telling you what to do. Yeah. Did that, 
when did that start or when did that come start playing? Okay, so that's a good question. Um, to your recollection. Yeah. <laughs> Let's use this as a chance. This isn't a deposition. <laughs> Let's use this as a chance yeah, allegedly. To, uh, oh, what? No, I'm allegedly. just kidding. Allegedly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Allegedly. This all happened in Minecraft. This never didn't, you know. <laughs> this all happened in Minecraft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm still on Xanax. <laughs> in my head, this whole thing is made up. Let's uh, use this to take a break. And then we'll check batteries, and sure. then we can come right back. Yeah. Uh, so, um, <laughs> I was just commenting on the whiskey that they made. Uh, I was just looking at. It made some uh, good it progress. Did. Good did. progress. Yeah, nice little dent. Bit. More than, yeah, more than some. Yeah, it was, it's it's not a good podcast without a good liquor. I, I can't mm-hmm. partake, but I get my uh, black rifle coffee. You keep us flowing with questions. <laughs> good spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the spirit of the mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. 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 yeah. So the the whiskey was to help fuel the conversation. No hombre, way. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to dive into the part that I've actually never told anyone about. So, we're here for you, brother. <laughs> in March, um, at the very end of March, I wanted to, and, and I knew what was, I knew, I knew that this was going to be, I needed to do a trial run, I needed to do something that I thought was familiar. So I had worked up the idea of I'm going to pull off a robbery. I'm going to do it in person. I'm going to do nonviolently, and let's just see what happens. So I decided um, now, again, I'm still in super uh, zoned out mode. There's no emotion in this whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um so I end up robbing a Starbucks in March, late March. So I think it was late March. I think it was March. Um, and the details were, were you know, just kind of like I just wanted to see what would happen. I wear a mask. That way we don't have any type of personal connection, obviously, so they don't know who I am. Um and uh, I wanted to, again, see if I could do it nonviolently. Now, what was crazy was, as I'm doing it, I'm like, it, 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 there, there were uh, uh, two girls. And I was like, why are you guys overreacting? It's not that really that big of a deal, <laughs> right? This Just is my the money. <laughs> this is my mindset. Yeah. So they're going up to, yeah. They're going, we just had the light turn on, so. Ding. <laughs> They're going up to unlock the door. I run out of this set of bushes that was nearby. I had been waiting. And I've got my mask on. And I've got, I've, I run up like this. And as I get closer, she turns around. She sees me with the mask, and she just starts screaming. And, I'm, and I pull the gun out, and I said, stop screaming. Unlock the door. Get inside. I said, calm down down <laughs> it's just a robbery it's not that big of a it's deal it's just me steve that's all <laughs> it's just your friendly depressed traveler world traveler it's just me steve I, I'm, I'm here to make withdrawal <laughs> so i run up and she's like oh my god okay 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 and so 
And I was like, I'm not going to hurt you. Just go inside. And so she goes inside, her and the other coworker. And um, I tell one of the coworkers, you know, I basically given out instructions, this and that. And I'm just, the whole time it's happening, I'm sitting there going, why is she freaking out? It's not that big of a deal. And I was like, it's not even your money. I told her that, I think, at some point. I think. I told her, it's not even your money. Now, I'm saying I think because even to this day, that this memory is super hazy, mm. really <laughs> hazy. Um, and Check out mode. Yeah. And so, anyway, I get the money, yada, yada, yada. Uh, and it was only like, I don't know, maybe like $1,000 or something like that. It's just day money. You know, and I didn't even care. Like, like I had a thousand dollars, and for me back then, you know, I had like, I didn't like. For me, like, I realized like I don't care about money. I don't care about this money. I don't care about that. There's something else going on. There's something wrong here because I had a thousand dollars. I could have left the country in a thousand dollars. And started right back over because I had left with left left the country with less than a thousand, and I knew if I went to Istanbul I could get a job like that, mm-hmm. and nobody knew who I was, nobody knew what had happened, and I was just kind of like, and so I spent April just kind of like in this funk, and so again I didn't know that I was in depression, and I would not say that I was in depression if. Um, I think it was sometime in the beginning of May. I started honing in on the Palladium as being an easy target. Yeah. And I was like, you know, it's so easy to knock that place off. Hmm. And I had a I had a specific plan of how you could do it without getting caught. Hmm. Before before we jump into that okay. hoopla, um, how did things end with the, the Starburst robbery? Like, you left them, and, like, did you have any anxiety of, like, I had a little of adrenaline rush, but like uh, like uh, you said, that was in March, and then April, like you were like basically talking about into April. It's like you basically had a, a month, a few weeks of just like letting that settle. Do you remember any type of feeling of, uh, you know, did I actually get away with it mm-hmm. or like? Yeah, did you Google the news? Or... Oh, oh, okay, okay. Now, now, also one one other thing is, where in the world did I get a gun? Right. So my my dad had bought. My dad had a pistol um, that I think he had uh, bought for home protection off my cousin. And I knew about said pistol and where it was. So I went and got the pistol, made sure it was unloaded. I didn't want a loaded pistol on me uh, in case anything went weird. Um, and again, because I'm not trying to hurt anybody, right? Um, but I wanted the scare tactic of it. Of course, I could have gone and got a fake gun, but no, I had to go get a real pistol. Mm-hmm. Um, was but, it a Beretta 9mm? Yeah. It was a Marine issue, bred a nine millimeter. Because the reason why you say that is because that is a difference in sentencing. What's that? If, whether you had a no, fake gun, no, I wasn't thinking prison at all. Yeah. all. And and I never even thought about. Well, I did think about getting a fake gun, but I was like, what if they notice it's fake? Yeah. And then I have to deal with and them. And they'll laugh and, at me. <laughs> oh, laugh at me! Actually, I was more afraid <laughs> of. It's fake. That's the worst. <laughs> I was afraid I would have to hurt him at that point. Mm. Because then I was like, if you think it's fake, you're going to come after me. Yeah. So I went and got a. Um, a stun gun. It, yeah. had, it was one million volts. Hmm. Um, they like sold a lot. It. Yeah. <laughs> I remember Ben got in the car one time and I told him I bought it and uh, he knew what it was. So he got in the car one time and I just, I turned it on and I hit it and cut, cut, cut. And he gets in and he was like, ah, ah. 
And I didn't touch him, but he's like, I peed on myself, man. You scared me to death. And I was like, this is awesome. Uh, but I was like, this will put a... It's like that Xanax game going to protect you from feeling this. <laughs> uh, so um, I had that on me, and I knew I could use that to control the situation. But I, did, I was like, look, I don't want to have to hurt someone. It's not your money. Just get out of the way. And I, that's kind of the reason I picked yeah. corporations is because I realized in my little bit of Googling and research, and I don't even know where I was looking for this information, um, maybe that's a little bit where some of the sudden things that voices outside of me are starting to kind of like, hey, what about this idea? Yeah. What about that idea? Um, but in my, in my information that I was looking at, I was like, part of the policy is do offer no resistance. Just let it happen. We're insured. Don't. You'll get, you actually will get fired if you actually try to play, play the hero. Um, and so it, it, was, it was to my best interest and to their best interest for, for us to work together in my mind. So, but no, I had no anxiety. Oh, okay, so I had just a little bit of anxiety when I, when I, when I did that. Um, the next day that it happened, and I kid you not, uh, I was at Enchanted Rock, right? on the run from Johnny Law. <laughs> and I'm just kind of like listening to see if anybody called or said anything. And then what I did was um, I was like, I should go, because I was going to my friend's Bible study, even though I was just sitting there like a bump on the log, I was like, I should go, because if I don't go, then it'll be suspicious. <laughs> so I go. and I Did you tithe? At least like no, hundred bucks. Not <laughs> hey, here's a fresh hundred. Where'd you get that? Oh, you yeah. know. So that's such a that's such a weird like a contrast. It smells <laughs> yeah. like a coffee bean. It's such a weird contrast, though. That like it, it and it didn't occur to you that it's weird that you're you're robbing a place and then and then going to a Bible study. No, and and here, okay. So it's about to get crazier. One of the girls that was there, I knew, worked at that Starbucks, and so Bible at the Bible study. So when I was like, there's it wasn't a chance. one of the ones. No, I was like, there's a chance I could run into her, and then when I run into her, I could ask questions. Did you choose that one just because she worked there? Nope. It was it was all about quick exit. Uh, you just knew the easy that intro. I knew it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so when I went there, I remember having this like it wasn't anxiety, it was adrenaline. Yeah. And I was just kind of like. She's like, you won't, you won't believe what happened. We got robbed, and I was like, oh wow, that's crazy. That was my emotional do they, response. Do they, do oh, they wow, know who it crazy. is? <laughs> so I did. I was, I was like, I was like, were you there? And she's like, no. And I was like, did, uh, did they, did they find anybody or blah blah? She's like, no, but they think it's you know somebody that used to work there because it looked like an inside job because they knew all this protocols and information. I didn't know. Okay. Um, and they so, knew we kept our cash in the cash register. You it, had worked there before. Yeah. Back in 2000. Uh-huh. Uh, 99, I had. Yeah. 99? So, no. Yeah. No, 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 no. It was after. Oh, was, oh, oh, 2000, 2001. It was when we were at the apartment. No. It was, yeah. I had just got out. It was my first job out of my second year of school. I just finished my second year of school. I got a job at Starbucks. We had that apartment, and then I switched over into doing the car sale or bartending. Yeah. Okay. So while you're all confessing this, has this already been, you know, have you been adjudicated for this? So I did spend <laughs> a lot of time like, can I even talk about that? Uh, so um, let's. Uh, it's when you, when you plead it down. Yeah. Let, 
I'll, let me. I'm going to touch on that when okay. uh, when we get to it because that's going to kind of tie into some of the things that I had to go through during the during the process. I'll, gotcha. I'll break that out um, because it was also again I'm telling you a lot of this stuff because <laughs> I have pieced back together like mm-hmm. what happened, how I got from point A to point B. Because all I'm doing is I'm just going through a fog through life in a way. Well, this is, I'm this taking everything day by day, moment by is, moment. This has always been, this has always been a, uh, uh, a question, like this kind of sticking point that I just had to let go of. You know, like being your brother and supporting you and like trying to get you through all this was like the whole Starbucks is like, well, if you did one thing and that, that led up to another, then it was more so than it just it being what he said it was. And then when, it, when you got back and everything, which we'll get into, it's like it was always a question of, you know, how can this be something that cause when it came down to it, he's like, I just don't remember. And now we're getting to the clarification of how can it be that I just don't remember or that he doesn't remember. So let's let, is, let's is, get to that point because they don't – is the fact that you were in a state of breakdown, in my opinion, yeah. breakdown to where um, things weren't clicking for you and you were acting outside of yourself. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. in those cases, it's like I, you, you don't remember what you actually did. Yeah, almost like, like a I possession. Never, I, never really, I never really understood that until yeah. how, how you said it could be one thing uh, where of like this this whole blank period and not have answers to now we're talking about you being in this breakdown kind of nervous breakdown type of mode. So let's go back to that because they don't actually know what you're talking about because because we haven't got to that point yet. Well, I well, think you, I think you're, he's, you're, he's, you're in it. You're like a zombie. Yeah, right, yeah. right it's now. Like, it's like, yeah, it's like I'm yeah. talking about how processing later on. Yeah. But, but he, I'm hearing this for the kind of for the first time. I, I, Leading yeah. up to like with the whole full, full story, is I'm hearing it and finally being able to understand. It's yeah, it's starting to click. What you said. That's yeah. what I'm trying to get. At. What I'm wondering was it a slow slide, a slow descent into that? And did that start in Spain? Uh, and it's just a slow descent Which to where part? it's out of well, kind of the your zombie like state. Oh. Like like when did you start not remembering? It seems like when you were back. Yeah. No, no, it was it was right around it was right around the time of uh, December. It was right around when I, no at the very end of December when I when I was getting ready to leave Palladium, and I started. I I had left Palladium. It was January. I was I was working with my buddy Johnny. We were doing landscaping, and I started. That's when I started contemplating these things, and I started moving into this like robotic type of state. Um, and, but it, it happened a little bit before that because, like I said, I was going to the Bible studies with some of my friends every now and then, and I would sit down with them. I was just hanging out with my friends. They just happened to be Christian. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, you guys are doing that? Yeah, I'll hang out. Um, but I was totally disconnected from what they were doing. Hmm. As far as like where the emotional disconnect started kicking in was when I started, when I made a decision, I think I just want to come up with some money and leave. Hmm. I think that's when this slow descent just started like kicking, and you say slow, but it it, it escalated very very quickly because we're talking sometime in between January February, March I'm robbing, mm-hmm. and then it's May kind of in. yeah yeah progressive I think is, yeah more appropriate were you, word. yeah were you suicidal at all? So um, what good question when when um, 
when that happened, I was uh, when I when I saw that they didn't have a lead and they were actually pursuing somebody else, I was like, "Geez, I completely got away with that," and that was it. I don't. I I stopped thinking about it from that point on. All I I remember being disappointed. Actually, mm. I remember being like, "Man, it's like uh, I don't know." It was, that that part's really. I still can't explain that, but I remember just being like, "Huh, that's that wasn't what I was looking for." And so I don't even know what I did with the thousand dollars. I have no idea. Um, so I started looking at Palladium. Palladium for me was an easy, easy target. I knew how to be able to pull it off without being able to for anybody to know who I was. And so I did share with that guy Ben. I said, "Hey, I think I'm going to do this." And Ben was just kind of like, eh, "You know, yeah." <laughs> you, you didn't tell him about Starbucks at all. Uh, that you can I remember. did. I did tell him. Oh, you did. Yeah. And what? What was his reaction? He was sc- terrified and excited at the same time <laughs> about the whole thing. Yeah. Xanax like I really had him. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, the poor guy was like so drugged out on Xanax and, and yeah. alcohol that I can't blame him again um, for what happened. He's just like, man, I can't believe he did that. Blah blah blah. Um, but if you're going to do a play game, this is what you should do. <laughs> no, and, and 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 again, it was. It was like, look, the Palladium is the lesser of our evils right now because the one other things that I was considering, and I told him, I said, I'm thinking about, uh, by that time, I had locked in on somebody on the east side that I thought was a dope dealer, and I had locked in on a possible family as a target, and I was looking at those two, and then I looked at Palladium, and I was like, well... The crack house, I might get blown out. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm, I might walk in that door and somebody's like taking a dump and Pulp Fictions and comes out with a freaking uh, 12 gauge and doesn't miss. Um, the family, I was like, it, even in that state, I was like very uneasy it's about personal. that whole process. Yeah. yeah. The other one, I was like, oh, you can do that and it's all insured and blah, blah, blah. And nobody would know who you are and keep your hands clean. And so that's kind of how I was like honing in on palladium, but I hadn't a hundred percent made up my mind. Then I think it was a very, um, I have to look at my calendar, but, um, if May 5th was the robbery, um, sometime around the, uh, second or third, I think it was, I, I just hit a wall. I I Mm. was like, I, I, I was a, I think I was really bothered by the fact that I did a robbery. Nobody knew what I had done. I had the money and I never left. And now I'm like, why am I even doing this? Hmm. What's going on? And I had no answers. And that's when the voices started kicking in. Hmm. And, but it it was just kind of like this, like weird, just whisper. And I had put the gun back and all that type of stuff. And that moment when I heard that, I, I remember like a zombie, I walked into my parents, um, uh, closet, walked over where I knew the gun was, took the gun out, loaded it up, put it in my car, and then I drove out to Comfort, which is where my Bible school was at. And so whenever I was feeling like uneasy or unhinged or disconnected, I would go to that Bible school because that was the one time when I felt like kind of connected, like when I knew, when I kind of felt, it kind of helped ground me, you know, remind me who I was and all that stuff. Uh, it was just a faith, place where I would... Faith-wise or just, just because just of the familiarity? Both, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, 
but I, I think I, I was like, I need a place. I, I, I just, that was my place. I, I was a zombie. I drove out there. I got there. It was nighttime. I went out. I remember where I parked my car. I went up and I'm, I'm not literally, there's no thought in my head the entire time. I'm just driving out there. I park, I go in, I open up the trunk, I get my gun, I get the gun. Um, and then I put it in my, I slide it in behind my, uh, my, my pants and then put my shirt over it and then I walk across the bridge and then I walk over to where the, the fence is and then I step in between the fence and then I walk over to a certain part of the field and I just stopped and then I just fell down to my knees and I was just like looking up and it was like stars everywhere and I'm just like, God, it's beautiful. And then I was just like hollow and then I just, that's when I was like, that's when I think, that's when the first real voice kind of kicked in. And it was just kind of like this, do it, do it. And so I didn't even think about it. I was just like, okay. So I pull out the gun, loaded it up. Meaning with ammo? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, I pulled it up. I made sure it was chambered, put it to my head, oh. and, then, and then just thought about it for a second. And I was like, okay. And then, so... This part's hazy. I think that I had my phone, and my phone rang, but now that I look back, I don't remember there being a phone or anything. Hmm. I don't remember where the disconnect happened in that moment, but I think I had a flash to an image of my mom getting a call that I killed myself. And see, somebody had killed themselves at his hill before, hmm. They had taken a shotgun and blew their blew their head off. Yeah. Um, they got into the gun cabinet, and the kid was really depressed and was struggling with that. And they always talked about that, about how that haunted them, that they couldn't have done more. Mm. And I thought, I'm doing this to in a place that I love to people that don't deserve that. And then I just thought, my mom doesn't deserve to find out this way. Yeah. And that's the only thing that kept me from pulling that trigger. Because mm. I, I had no emotions. I was, I, and then... Oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I had no emotions in that moment, but then I started to cry, and I was just like, uh, I, 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 I was saying stuff to God like, um, what the heck is going on? You know, did you know, like, I thought, I thought we had this figured out. Like, yeah. how in the world did I get here? And then I was like, I don't want to hear it. Hmm. Like, I, I, I think you have an answer. I don't want to hear it. I'm just so frustrated right now. And in that moment, I made up my mind. I am going to rob the. I'm going to do the lesser of the things. I'm going to rob the Palladium. I'm going to leave this country, and then if I die, then I'm going to make sure I die in some place where it doesn't. It won't be as traumatic for my family, mm-hmm. or they'll not, won't even know I'm dead. Yeah. But I felt like I was a danger at that point to people I knew, and I felt I was a danger to other people. Not not myself. I felt like it was danger to other people. I, it was one of the first times I I became like a external with my thinking mm-hmm. you know what's so interesting hearing this is that because it was like either that weekend or the weekend before is that uh everything happened you were helping me build an awning so what happened was that was that night and i i think it was like a thursday night i think so or a friday night i forget which i made up my mind that's what i'm gonna do a day a day later I don't, I don't remember if it was that day or later or before that. I went and bought a rock mask. Hmm. 
Hmm. And it was I bought the rock mask because I thought if I do a robbery yeah. and somebody sees it from a distance, I don't want them to see the clown and be like, hey, why is that guy wearing a clown mask? <laughs> I'd rather them see something that looked kind of kind of humanish. S- yeah, yeah. So that You're was the only about one. Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne the Johnson, yeah, the Rock. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's the most human one I could find. And I was like, yeah, I'll take that one. So I had that in my trunk also. So black face, white body. Huh? <laughs> I didn't think about that. No, no, no. He, it, it was like, oh, I guess you, where were you covered up? Yeah. I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty sure the, uh, like the, the mass was not black face at all. No. Not, not, well, not the black Dwayne face. Johnson is not so much. Yeah, especially the mask was very uh, Caucasian. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Capital, capitalized. <laughs> so, uh, real quick, with yeah. his hill, it's interesting to me that um, so you're angry at God, I guess, at one point that kind of set some of this off. Angry at your church, um, but not at his hill. Like that was a place that you loved. Yeah, I, it kind of kept sacred in my books. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so at that point, I make up my mind, this is what I'm going to do, and I go, and Saturday night, so, I'm sorry, Saturday, Andrew is building this awning, what was it called, a portico, uh, what? Awning. An awning outside, and he needed help setting the bricks or doing this or Wait, that. this was the next day or the uh, couple days later? It, it was either the next day or a couple days later. Huh. And I told my friend Ben, I said, I'm going to do it. And he said, do what? And I said, I'm just going to do it. And I was like, I was like, look, if you hear about it, get ready. Just just be ready. You said Talking May- about palladium, not killing yourself. Yeah. He didn't know about it. He had no idea yeah. about that. May 5th was the robbery that we yeah. did. So it was like... It was the 4th I helped you. Yeah. So the 4th was a Monday. No. So it was Saturday. You didn't talk him out of it? It was a, it was a, <laughs> it was a Saturday. 2009? Yeah. Oh, because it was the 3rd you helped me. Yeah. So it was oh, the third so two days, me. yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I know it was the weekend because I worked Monday through. Did Friday. you go back to 2009 on the calendar? Yeah. And, and again, I think it's the fifth that the robbery was. No, it wasn't. Maybe the fourth. Maybe the fourth was you. Mm. No, the, I'm sorry. Star Wars My bad. weekend. It was the second. It was the second. Uh, wait, wait. There it is. The third. It was the third. I always have the date wrong. No, so like, yeah. I, know, I know it was... Uh, the Sunday, it was it was Sunday, and the reason and the reason I know it was Sunday, was um, uh, it was Sunday Monday, third and fourth. So the reason it was I'm, okay. I'm, so I'll, you you went like Sunday is the night that you went to his hill. Yes. And then, no 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 Saturday, because it was like two days before. His, so okay. but so I know I, I know like it was an actual weekday. Yeah. That you. Uh, that you robbed the place okay. because so, that's when all the news and like Lindsay and Scott was con- contacting me. Yeah. So what happened was, uh, so I, I remember, I know exactly what day, like it was Sunday going into Monday. And the reason for that is because I wanted as much cash from Friday, Saturday to be in the safe as much as possible, yada, yada, yada. Because I'm planning on taking everything mm-hmm. and booking it because no, I'm not going to let anybody know who I am. But I was working with Andrew that day and helping him, and I don't think you had any idea what was going on in my head. <laughs> no idea. I was preoccupied with getting this misshapen awning yeah. that would plague my life for the next mm. few But I was, I was in a good mood, actually. I was, it was, I was in a rare good mood because I'd made up my mind what I was going to do, and 
Um, and because I felt like I'm, I was like, I'm doing something to help my brother. So I felt like that was like a little altruistic of me. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you'll never see me again, but I helped you with this. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, uh, you have to imagine how surreal that was. Oh yeah. Being like one day I'm helping you helping me. And then the next day my brother's calling me. Yeah. So, so what, what happened was, um, after I helped him that day, what I was supposed to do was go home, change, and then I was supposed to go to the movie theater, go to my spot, right? So I was supposed to go in with the crowds, with go in with my backpack, and my sp- go to my spot, hide in my spot, and then wait until X amount of time the next day and then commit the robbery because then they would have nothing on video of who I was or where I was coming from. So it was... It really was a perfect plan of mm. you would have no idea where I came from. I, I was supposed to rent a car. I was supposed to, I didn't have to rent a car, but I was going to rent a car. And, and all that was supposed to take place that day, but because I agreed to help him, mm-hmm. it threw that out. And I didn't want to wait a week to reset. So I decided to use my own car. And then because I was so tired from helping him, I was like, yeah. And I, I was like, yeah, screw it. And, and, and this, this is as calm as I was. I remember I went home. I kissed my mom and dad because I was staying at their place. I kissed my mom and dad. I said, good night. I love you guys. And there was something about the way I said it that they, they, that they thought was kind of surreal. Mm-hmm. But they didn't say anything. Then I went upstairs. I got my backpack that I had traveled in. And I packed it with everything that I thought was essential. And then I um, went to bed. And I slept like a baby. And then I got up. My alarm went off. I got up at 5 a.m., Put my backpack in my car, make sure I had the gun, da da da. Oh yeah, by the way, when I when I had attempted the suicide and I thought about it, I unloaded the gun completely so that I didn't mm-hmm. have anything in it. Cause I was like, okay, <laughs> this is the little too close for comfort, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I made sure that was in the car, I made sure I had everything ready. And I knew that I was never coming back. That's was my mindset. I'm never gonna be coming back here. And so I I went and um I Again, I was like, "You, all you have to do is wait for the next crowd to come in and then go to your spot, blah, blah, blah. And then somewhere in that process there, I had made up my mind. I want people to know who I was. I don't want to do this again and no one knows who I am. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted, to, I wanted my family to be like, what the hell are you? What did you do? You're a monster. Don't ever come back. So that so that I burned every bridge, yeah. but I also didn't want everyone to know instantly, so it would have time to get away. So I parked my car in the back. I I, I put uh, duct tape over the license plate, the numbers, so you couldn't see, you couldn't tell instantly who it was. They still have to work for it for a little bit. And then I was supposed to go into the, I was supposed to go in through the front, and um, the front was locked, and I was like, oh crap. Usually they leave the front unlocked so the cleaning crew could get in and out. So then I would go back over. And so for me... You were in your mask at this point? No, for me to do that, I had to be unmasked. Mm -hmm. But I kept my head down. I had a hat on and my sunglasses the whole time. Because again, I want them to work for it. Yeah. Right? So I go to the door. Nothing's happening. I'm like, great. So I go back over. By this time, yeah, my adrenaline is just like pumping. Hmm. Right? And um, I walk inside... I have to walk into the movie theater. The cleaning crew's there, but they're, I was dressed in 
work clothes. So I was a white shirt with a tie with the black pants. Um, so they're really not going to say anything to you because they're like, we don't know who works here, who's a manager and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I just walk right in, but I can't wear a mask. So again, kept my head down, walked in, walked into the bathroom. So the way the Palladium is, is that you've got a long hallway with all the theaters on each side. At the very end is the IMAX, and then that's where the, th- the, the building is, the office. Mm-hmm. I, had a, I came in through this door right here. I had to walk all the way across, right? And in between, there's a bathroom. There's a corridor of bathrooms. So I remember I got there, and I was there early. I was there like I knew the managers would get there around 9 o'clock, and I, was, I got there around maybe like 7.45 mm. or 8 o'clock. So, but I knew I had to get there early because I had to get there when the cleaning crew was there. So I got, I, I walked in, and it's, again, I am, adrenaline's pumping, but I got no emotion, right? And during that whole process, as, that, as that's going on, um, uh, I am having a war going on now of voices in my head, yeah. right? And one's like, nobody knows you're here. Nobody knows what you're doing go home right nothing has been done that can't be undone and then the other part of just saying you just got to stay calm you're almost there all you got to do is wait here for a little bit so what i did is i went into the bathroom i went into the stall i sat down on the on the one of the toilet seats and just sat there and just thought for a second because the cleaning crew was cleaning in that hallway and i was like okay i can wait for them or i can just walk right past them and I was just like, okay, if I wait, and I was like, ah, no, no, I was back and forth. And then I was like, let me get to where the places that I was going to, one of the other places I was going to wait by the IMAX outside the office door. Let me just get there and then I can make up my mind. Mm-hmm. So I get up, I put, I have my sunglasses on, I have my hat on, I've got a, a, ja- a big jacket and then I just walk right past the cleaning crew. No one says anything walk right past them, but I know I'm on camera the entire time. So I keep my head low, go inside, go to where the IMAX part was, and I go to the top part just outside where you can go to the office doors where the elevator would come up. But I'm sitting inside the IMAX, and I sit down. I've got a roll of duct tape, okay? I've got two full uh, uh, duffel bags, and then I've got, this is where we're going to get to, like, comical side of things, a little bit kind of comical. You'll Hmm. see. Um and then I've got some trash bags. And then I forget what else I had. I had my stunner, and then I had my empty gun, and then I had the rock mask. So I put the rock mask on. I had gloves and whatnot, but then I left the gloves because I didn't want them to impede. Mm. The duct tape was because after I did the robbery, I was going to tie them up and then leave them in the office or the bathroom and then uh, take their cell phones, make sure they didn't, couldn't make a phone call, mm. and then I was going to take off, right? So... That was the plan. So I'm just sitting there, and I've got one hour of just sitting there, hmm. of just being like, okay, I can talk myself out of it. In my mind, it was a war zone. Like, that's when you said voices, I remember that, and I was just like, holy crap, man. And it was just like raging in my head. And then finally I was like, I'm doing this. I looked at my clock. It was about 9 o'clock, and then I was like, I'm doing this. And I just, at that point, everything went quiet. And then it was like, hold on, wait. 
wait, wait, wait. Okay, go. Hmm. And again, this is what I'm hearing in my head. I walk out, walk into the main area. I've got the rock mask on. Now I'm on camera. I hear the, uh, I know that in a little bit the elevator is going to come up. And so, because I, I think I knew that they had to come up that way, or I thought they had to come up that way. Um, or I opened the up, I, yeah, I opened up one of the side doors to kind of force them, force the them to have to come up that way. I don't know. Anyway, all these ideas are coming to my head, and I never even thought of them. <laughs> but ding, here comes the, the door opens. There's a manager. I pull the gun on him, and I just say, you know what this is. Just stay calm, and let's get this over with. And he's all, okay, man. And again, I'm just like, my heart's racing, but emotionally I'm just dead inside. And I'm just kind of like looking at him. And I'm no Xanax, no drugs, no alcohol, uh, a full rest of sleep, mm -hmm. apparently. And so we go in the back. As we come inside, we, we go inside where the, they're, they have the black rooms where, they're, where they show the, the, where they have the cameras and the film goes out all that stuff, and you go in the back, and, you, and they open up the office door, and we go inside, he's like, just stay calm, and I said, I'm calm, you stay calm, mm -hmm. and so I've got the gun low here, yeah. and as we come in, there's another manager, and he's there too, mm -hmm. and so as we walk in, he's like, hey, what's up, and then he sees me, and then I, I pulled back, and I show him the gun, and I say, hey, go over there, and so make him go over with the other guy, and the guy's like, oh, man, oh, my, and I was like, I was like and then the other manager the, the main one that I first saw, he's like, hey, calm down. Just do what he says. And I was like, exactly what he said. And he said, I said, open up the vault. He said, okay. So he goes and he opens up the vault. Now, the way it works is that I knew there was two vaults, um, not because uh, I had worked there, but because I knew that they were going to keep the money in two, like, two separate areas like most people. You have a day, you have day money, right? So you mm -hmm. have day operating cash. This is the time when people still use money. And most people don't know this, but at that time, movie theaters were a big cash boom. In yeah. fact, uh, the you know the movie The Town? Mm -hmm. Well, the person that wrote the book for for The Town, yeah. their first robbery they did was a movie theater hmm. because movie theaters were unknown cash cows. But if you knew what you were looking for, you knew it. And so that's why I picked uh, Monday because I wanted the weekend total of Friday, Saturday, Sunday mm -hmm. to build up for that. So he... So he gets into it, and I'm not really paying attention. He goes, do you want me to put the change in there? And I was like, yeah. And I throw him the trash bags. I didn't throw him the devil bags. I threw him the trash bags. And uh, so he starts putting, they start putting the money in, and they're just, doo -doo -doo -doo, and they fill up three bags full of money. Trash bags. Trash bags. Mm -hmm. The black change, ones. you mean the coins. The coins. <laughs> and they said, I kid you not. They were like, do you want the pennies? I said, just the quarters. <laughs> Yeah, I told you. So here's a guy in a rock mask saying, hey, give me the day money and do the quarters. Now, what they didn't probably know, what I knew, was that they were just giving me the day money. I didn't ask them to open up the other safe. Mm. And I can't tell you why, but this is where the voices kicked in. If you tell them to open that up, they will follow you to the ends of the earth because of the amount of money you're going to get. Because I was speculating it's going to be like 150, hmm. and that was kind of like the low end actually. Yeah. Um, and because it's three days of just yeah. constant cash cows, mm -hmm. um, and, and they said, but if you take thirty thousand, nobody's really going to care too much. And you knew that's roughly the day money. 
No, no, I, did, I didn't know it was 30000 If you just take the, what the money they're giving you right now, even if it was twelve or whatever, yeah, that's you don't. That's all you need to go start over somewhere else. Yeah. So this is the thoughts that are going through my head. And so when they finished up, they look at me, and I looked at them, and I looked up, and I think the other safe was there. It was in a back office, and I made my decision. I was like, okay, we're just going to do with this. Let's not be greedy. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so they've got, and I kid you not, it was four trash bags. I think. So there's four trash bags, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, how in the world am I going to get this to the car? Because we have to go out the office, down this massive stairs through the massive IMAX theater to get to the car, right? And I'm just like, oh, crap. Um, and I look at them, and they look at me, and I'm just like, my plan was to lock you up, tie you up, and then I'm going to take the bags, and we're going to go... I'm going to take the bags, but because they put the change in there, I couldn't pick the bags up, all of them. So they look at me, and I look at them, and the first manager, he looks at me, and he goes, do you want us to help with the bags? (laughs) Swear to God. And I sat there, and I was like, yeah, you guys each grab a bag, and I'll grab a bag, or something like that. Yeah. And you left a bag? Like, no, no, no. You guys each grab a bag. I don't. I don't. I don't. Two? I don't have a bag. They, they, they oh, each they had two, two bags. Okay. You're like the dog that actually catches the, <laughs> the car that he's chasing. Doesn't know what to do with it. So, um, and this is not a funny situation. It's just this is how ridiculous I was in the moment, mm-hmm. right? Um, this will come in later when I tell him a little bit about the prison thing of it, but we. So they, they each take a bag, and we go out. And so because of that, I leave the duct tape. I leave the bag, the duffel bags that everything was supposed to be put in or whatever. And I think I leave my gloves. And we go down, and as we're going down, I could tell they're struggling to carry this, right? And they're struggling because the bags are starting to like... Like that. They're starting to stretch out. As we're going down... The guy that kind of panics a little bit, his bag breaks. Boom. And it spills everywhere. Dude, this and th- this is arcade. Did you hear about this? Do no. you know this? Yeah, I do know about it, but this is arcade cash. Like mm, quarters. Like, wow. Yeah. That's what they pay in is quarters. Because they have like arcades at these. Yeah. Like, yeah. But they also, you know, there's a lot of cash still. There's all yeah. cash, but... But there's a lot of quarters, yeah. yeah. Lot of quarters. Would, like, like how much... Is quarters like filling the bag? Well, ten percent quarters. Is it fifty percent quarters? I would, I would, no, no, no. I would find out later that it would come out to about um, something like a couple thousand dollars worth of quarters. Okay, but but volume wise, that's four. Well, just yeah, it. That's essentially eight thousand quarters. Eight thousand quarters, yeah. If it's a couple, so some of the bags didn't have as much. Some of the bags didn't have as much coins, but apparently this one did. One did, and so it's boom, and he looks at me like I'm gonna freak out on him, right? And remember, I have a gun, but it's not loaded. He doesn't know that, right? But all he's looking is this guy's got a loaded gun. My money just busts everywhere. Is he gonna penalize me for it? So. I look at him, and he looks at me, and then the other manager's there, and I said, hey, take just the cash and throw it inside those other bags. So here we are trying to grab all the cash. <laughs> I'm grabbing some cash, throwing it in the bag. Oh, my gosh. Are there any? Is there no, no, no. It's, yeah, because it's 9 o'clock. People crew? don't get there till 10. Okay. The cleaning crew's done, oh, and they're gone. Interesting. So 
Wow. We get the money, what we can, the cash. What you, you know, leave the quarters. Yeah, but it's not all there. the cash. It's just most of the cash, right? Yeah. And now we're. I'm like, go, go, go. And so now we're going, going. Wait, but this took place at the this elevators. Is, uh, we went. The, we went that, past the elevators. elevators. We went down uh, the the IMAX, okay. right? And it's dark, but yeah. it's big, right? Yeah. So we are. Ha- Keep in mind, this is not a how-to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a how-to. Like we're not asking this before. Yeah. For like educational purposes. Well, believe me, kids. later on, uh, people in prison would ask me because they were trying to get like, oh, how'd you, you robbed that much? How much, how'd you do it? They were actually hitting me up and it took me, that's why I didn't tell my story much is because I didn't want to give people a how-to because mm-hmm. when they found out that like, when they found out I left the other safe, they were like, what the hell? <laughs> and I was like, don't you understand? They would have, I would have had the FBI after me if I took that much money. And um, because I, I forget what the reason is, but at some point, at certain amounts, they take a way higher interest, right? So, um, we go, this is where it gets kind of crazy. We open up the door. <laughs> this is where it gets kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, at this point. We open up the door. It's 9.30 in the morning, right? Palladium is not as busy as it, it's not as, it, there wasn't as many buildings and, and, and shopping centers as it mm. was, right? It was also Monday morning. It was a Monday morning, right? Mm-hmm. We open up the door. You can see out into the street a little bit, and the street can see back into where we're at. The way I had to park my car, I actually had to park my car. I didn't know exactly know which door I was coming out of. So I parked it to where it was going to be about a 40-yard a walk to get to, to my car. And I had backed it up so that I could just open up the trunk and take off. We're walking across that way. I look across. like I'm, I'm like, God, we're wide open right now. We're walking across with the trash bags. Boom, there goes another bag. <laughs> and now they look at me like, oh my God. Money is a wind comes and money just goes like that. <laughs> and they look at me and they're like, oh. And and I was like, um, I kind of froze. And I, I was like, you, the skittish one, I said, uh, start putting the money in the bag. And 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 then I was I looked at the car. And I looked at the bags, and I looked at the car, and I looked at the bags, and, and the guy, the comm manager, looks at me, and he goes, do you want me to back the car up for you? <laughs> and I said, I said, look, I kid you not, this is what happened. And I said, do you drive stick? <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, and he was about to say yes, and then the other manager's like, what did you say? I said, do you drive stick? And he goes, what did he say? And I was like, do you drive standard? And then... The manager, the the calm one, goes. He said, "Do I drive standard? Like, like you're an idiot. You're ruining this." And he goes, he goes, "Yes, I do." And so I give him the keys. I throw him the keys. Wow. He goes, gets in my car, backs up, right, pops the trunk, comes out, and I'm like, "All right, let's start loading it up." So we throw the bags in, and now we're starting to scoop money out of there. That is a one complaint employee. Yes, and so I well, he, am, he didn't want you to. No, I don't have the gun out. I have the yeah. gun in my pocket, right? And so, because I'm not trying to brandish the gun. As they're loading it up, and I'm just sitting there watching them do this, I look over, and there's a guy about maybe less than 100 yards away, uh, Baird's delivery. Yeah. And he's outside, and he's unloading the Baird's delivery, hmm. right? There's some. There's cars driving by, right? That's how oblivious people yeah. are to what's going on. They're, they're driving You're by. You're still wearing your mask. I'm still wearing my mask, but from a distance, I look, yeah. I guess, like 
The Rock. Yeah. And these <laughs> fat these, rock. These guys, these managers, did you know them? One did one I did and one I didn't. And they didn't recognize you? No. Not at all. No. Oh well, that, that was the whole point for the the yeah. mask was the mask was I wanted to make them work for it. Also, I didn't want them to see anybody I knew yeah. and for them to get an idea. Well, did you have your beard? No. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, but again, the mask went all the way down. Oh, it all like, the way down. Yeah, okay. it goes all the way down. Yeah. So what's, what's funny is is if you had waited until COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, hey. The first the first day. That's true. That's very true. Actually, the first day. Yeah, that's true. The first day they said, uh, "Hey, you got to wear your mask before you go into this place." I remember sitting outside in my truck, and just being like, "I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. This makes me feel uncomfortable." Walking into I think a store. I, I think I took a video and I was like, "The last time I wore a mask in public, it did not end well." <laughs> so, yeah, so. As they're loading the money, I'm looking around, and at that point, I'm like, somebody's called the police. And at that moment, right then, I was like, death by suicide, suicide by cop. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, if they show up, I'm pulling the gun on them, and I'm going to let them take me out. Like, I was, it, it just hit me. I was like, I can imagine the cops pulling up at any moment. I'm listening for sirens. And I was like, well, I was going to commit suicide anyway, mm. or I was thinking about it anyway, so at least this way I'm not pulling the trigger. So anyway, we get to a point, and I mean, the money's going everywhere. And I finally said, hey, guys, that's it. I said, just go back inside. And they were like, and they just took off running inside. I didn't ask for the cell phones or nothing like that. Yeah. I went, I jumped in the car, and I took off. Now, here's, here's like one of the later on I would find out was God's blessing on me. If I had done my original plan, I would have been facing kidnapping charges. Because I would have tied them oh, up, tying them up, yeah, and uh, and something else, and then I would have been facing some type of Fed charge. I forget what yeah. it was for. Weren't you uh, already? You said you were facing assault with uh, a deadly weapon. No, it's aggravated or assault. Aggravated so assault. It, it's okay. it, you would think it would be called armed robbery. Yeah, but because you have a weapon brandishing, they consider it aggravated robbery. Mm-hmm. Aggravated, they call it aggravated robbery. So as it wasn't aggravated assault because I didn't yeah. put hands on anyone or harm anybody. Yeah. Um, I didn't even threaten him. I think yeah. I said thank you in the whole process. Hmm. I can't believe did it. Time off. Back up the car. Yeah. You should say thank you. <laughs> I did say thank you. Yeah. That is, that, that's a palladium did you Did you give him like a valet tip? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was blowing all over the yeah, freaking yeah. back it parking lot. Quarters. Just so you know, at that Santico Theater. Oh, yeah. Which is a local... Um, San Antonio. Like, one. hero. I mean, it's just the worst... In San Antonio, it's the worst. It's the worst. It's like robbing HEB. It's yeah, it's so like it's, it's mm, the worst place to rob. Yeah, because they give so much a hero company for the local family. community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love yeah. and support Santico. Yeah, and and they did not <laughs> At deserve. Least we do. Yeah, <laughs> they don't deserve anything that happened. Yeah. Um, and uh, so anyway, I jump in my car and I drive off. And from that point on, that's during this whole time, the voices are coaxing me. Hey. You know, blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. and they're saying, "Hey, the cops could be coming any moment. You better book it." Blah blah blah. So I'm driving out, and again, my heart's racing, and yada yada yada. And I have to pull over somewhere. I take off the tape off my license plate, and um, I decide to go to First Fredericksburg, right? And 
I've, I, st- I stopped to throw away anything incriminating except the freaking money that's in yeah. the back of the vehicle. Well, wait, wait, wait. Why would you do that? You said you want them to catch you. No, no, no. And also, I want them to know who I am. To know. Okay. Know who you are, but make them work for you. Yes, but how are, how are you expecting they're going to figure that out? I just figured that I, they, had enough, they had enough information. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm, not a, uh, um, I'm not a common body type, yeah. right? And I had worked there before. Yeah. And I was using my own vehicle. Yeah. So I knew that they would eventually They'd piece it, it together. Yeah. I just didn't know how fast. So, yeah. Like, I have a story for that. Is uh, when all the when everything was coming out, when everything was coming out, like uh, Scott called me and told me that uh, you know, at what time? I, what time did he call you? It was midday. Okay. Uh, like what day? Like Monday. That day. Like, uh, that day. That day. Like uh, yeah. like before lunch, maybe. It was before lunch, and um, he was like. Uh, Dude, have you been able to talk to Steve? And I said no. And I said, he said, I, I don't know how it sounds, but I think he might have robbed the police. <laughs> and I was like, come again. And so, like, I was processing this information. Uh, how did Steve, I, or not Steve, but Scott, think that I, he I, saw on the news, no, like I, he saw a video or an image they, of him? Yeah, they like they were announcing it. And they were releasing video of it. It made the 10 o'clock news feed, and then it made the noon. 10 a.m. 10 a.m., and then yeah. made the 12. Like, I think, uh, like, my mom was probably saw and, like, recognized uh, Steve, and it was, like, trying to, like, reach out and try and find where he's at. And so I ended up having lunch. Didn't the cops show up at mom and dad's, and then that's how they knew? Eventually. Okay. Yeah. No, but, like, they knew okay. kind of beforehand. Okay. Because they were, like, so they I saw the video. To me before lunch, okay. I ended up having lunch with Jared Heckendorn that day, and which is a uh, school. It's, it's a school. It's a school friend of ours, who, like who we grew up with. And um, I told him, I said, "It's like, hey man, what I'm about to say is like I may start laughing because it's so absurd, but it, what I'm saying is not a joke." And I said, I think Steve brought the Palladium. And he goes, what? <laughs> and so we were talking about it, and I was like, these are, this is what I've been encountering. And so he went home, he went back to work, and he worked with his dad. And so he was looking it up and saw, like, the video images. I kid you not, his dad walked by and saw the monitor, and he, like, looked at it, and he was like, Hey, what's Steve doing? Recognized <laughs> uh, <laughs> him when you got him a body right story. off the bat. It's like see, he's like, "What's Steve doing?" <laughs> I can't remember like where their conversation went, but <laughs> it was not hard. Anyone who knew you was not hard to tell that that was yeah, me. That was probably you. Yeah. yeah. Um. So again, like it was not a laughing. Matter. It's not a laughing matter, mm. but. but the way that I process things Comical, a lot yeah. of times through humor because, and you were talking about how absurd it was yeah. and ridiculous it was. And that was exactly how I was processing the information because you were just helping me a few days prior to like, you know, building this thing in the back of my, back in a my good house. mood and blah, yeah. Blah. Mood, yeah. And it's just like, it just seems so conversive that, 
Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I could, the only way I could react to it was mm. with humor or laughter. How did the rest of the family react? Uh, the rest of the family was uh, shock. Um, I think Scott probably saw the writing on the wall because he was addressing it with you. Um, but it was when not to that level. Just knew that I was like, I was on the deep end a little right, bit. And like so, when he saw it, it was like a like it was a realization of like how much like he was on a on a scent with your with everything that you were going through, but he didn't realize it was this the um, it was far gone as it was. And so, I think what really um, what really uh, brought it home for us is when the U.S. Marshal showed up hmm. looking for Steve. Yeah. And that was, that's like a whole nother story, but yeah. that's what really brought it home. Is like, hmm. It's like these people are very serious. Yeah. And uh, it was a couple of days later. Well, this is the interesting thing is that it went from just being a local case, but because of my travel history, they, they, they saw me as a... Um, Oh, maybe you had like Interpol wanted you or something. No, no, no. They they right. saw because of my travel history. Yeah. They saw me as a flight risk. Oh, I see. Not as just a regular local thug. Yeah. Right. And so, um, but they're they're still piecing this together, and they're like, we're not sure. We're thinking it is. We're interviewing people. We're trying to put it together. All that time, I had drove out to Austin, and that's when um, my buddy helped me get a hotel room that wasn't in my name. Mm. out there so ben used a connection of his to get me a hotel room and i said look i don't want you you know too tied up and in, into what's going on here so uh i'm going to europe if you want you can you can meet me out there and he had already been talking about yeah i want to get out of here too so he's like okay all right so we're going to go ahead and stop right there that is going to be the end of this uh first part uh of this uh story uh we'll come back next time and we're going to pick right up where we left off and uh jump into basically what I did when I was on the run and how I came to turning myself in and just all the way up to sentencing and 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 things like that. Um I hope you've enjoyed the conversations so far between us and the format. And just um, if you have any questions, feedback, feel free to get out to me at any of the outlets that I have provided. Um, I think I put my uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, even though I'm not a big social media guy, I will check it for those. Uh, I've also got my email that I put out there that you can reach out to me at. Um, and of course, if you have my personal phone number, then you can reach out to me that way as well. But I look forward to just whatever uh, insights, feedback you have, criticisms, doesn't matter. It's all good. And um, it's just really been a joy uh, sharing this with you guys. And look forward to being able to uh, finish out this last part. I love you guys. And I will catch you at the next episode. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this podcast on whatever platform you're choosing. You can find the Prison Steve podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher now, as well as the Red Circle podcast. If you want to throw your support for the show, the three best ways are to subscribe, leave a review, especially if it's five star, and to share with anyone you think would be interested. Those three things will help me build some organic traction, which is really the best kind. Any comments or tips that you have for me, feel free to share them via the email or the Facebook link that I will be leaving in the description. 
for all of your support and listening to this show. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I look forward to the next one. Please remember, stay sane, be positive. Peace.